Welcome to the uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell podcast special. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Fright Fest. Uh, I'm Simon Aiken and... I'm Keith Isles and... I'm Mike Jack and... I'm Clive Ashenden. Hey, it's back to the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, you're not the rubbery one with the long arms, Keith. That's it, and not hey. the fan stick four. Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> you are. That's, what, that's my nickname for you, actually. My secret name for you, Mr. Fantastic. Hey, <laughs> we're starting to get into pet names already. <laughs> this pod cast is going to go rapidly yeah. downhill, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, we're talking about uh, Fright Fests, um, the, uh, the UK Horror Film Festival. It's, it's over a whole week, the bank holiday weekend, five days of horror uh sci-fi uh thrillers comedies and uh in the course of the weekend uh you will be able to see at least 25 films the dark heart of cinema yeah it's up to 50 now isn't it with the discovery screens wow yeah you can't see them all though can you no no but uh people do try it's good value for money if you're a horror fan or a genre fan or even a film fan in general. I think it's it's good value, um, but um, with a it's a massive um, massive festival that has grown from something quite small. So, um, but we'll get we will I'm sure we'll discuss those. I agree. I mean, I am not the fright fest veteran that some of you guys are, meaning. Uh, this year's one will only be my third year in a row. Prior to that, I'd, I'd gone to the odd screening, but never the full festival. But some of you, I believe, have been doing it for many years. Is that correct? That is correct. This will be the 16th year that Fright Fest has been running, and I've done the last. Uh, this will be my 14th this year. Wow. So, yeah. That's uh, a lot I'm, of movies. That That is a lot of movies. Uh, initially, when the, the festival was smaller, I made it a point of honour to watch everything that was possible. But then, uh, but then, with the expansion and the adding of the discovery screens, it, it was no longer possible. But uh, I mean, what? But what's kept me coming back, apart from being a massive horror fan, um, is is it's always been a very welcoming festival. It's, been, it's, it's had its own kind of special uh, aura and uh, kind of uh, just sort of uh, fun family feel to it i mean uh, as, as, <laughs> yeah you know the family that slays together stays together yeah. right? <laughs> it's certainly the best audience to watch a film with i mean we've seen some shite there but it's um that audience just can lift it sometimes uh you guys did you guys see giallo or giallo or giallo yes giallo. Uh, one of Daryl Argento's best films of the last 10 years probably <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 you know spoilers that was almost my pick for movie hell you know uh, um, right. but but the thing was the experience of watching it was a lot of fun because of the audience because we just we were laughing at the film Hmm. Right. Uh, I, 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 I was in pain. I'm a Dario Argento fan. I, 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 you're on your own there, mate. I, I, I know there were there were lots of laughs, but I was sort of, you know. I, I, I thought I, it was I, the best comedy ever. Oh in, no, a comedy no. at a horror fest. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you had fun out of it. I mean, I, I <laughs> for me, a sort of parallel experience would be something like I saw House of the Dead there, the Ulway Bull film. 
Ah, yeah. And and, and and that was <laughs> that was a laugh riot with with the yeah with the fright fest audience, you know, because mm. uh, it it was just yeah every time everyone opened their mouth, a cliche popped out. Um, there was these weird cutaways to sort of computer game footage because hey, it's an adaptation of a computer game, and it was just really poor. But uh, and just to sort of just to look on Jurgen Prochnow's face every time he had to open his mouth and say some words. It was like, oh, how did it come to this? What happened to my life? Um, and uh, it was just, yeah, it, it just sort of built into a kind of uh, thing where, where the audience was sort of feeding off uh, off the whole thing. And, and it went into a kind of crazy, uh, yeah, it, it, it became like one of the talking points of that year. So you do, I was going to say, you do end up rather uh, sleep deprived on these uh on these particular things because it's a fairly full-on weekend but what, what one of the things i particularly like about it is the fact that it truly is international i mean when you think that a couple of our picks tonight aren't even in the english language uh you, you know for example it, it's really good to see what's happening in the horror stroke thriller genre worldwide and that's be it big budget or small budget films this this is true this is very true it's not just uh, british films and the the wonderful thing as well is that they bring the directors and the casts over to do q and a's um after the film and if you went to the phoenix bar afterwards sometimes you could have a drink with them because there was one year where me and clive we had a drink with tony todd mm. candy man candy man oh indeed you groupies, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and, and, a, and a very uh, a very uh, fine and generous uh, uh, company he was too. He was, did, yes. Did he so, get his put his hand in his pocket and buy you a drink? Don't be silly. It came yeah. out as a claw, though, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a hook, mate. Hook. The hook. <laughs> um, just out of interest, I mean, obviously Clive's sort of topped us all with fourteen out of sixteen years. Um, Simon and, and Mike, what, how, how many years have you been doing Fright Fest as, as the full festival pass? Um, I think it's about nine years for me. Wow. I think it's nine years. I think I've I, probably got this wrong. The first time I went to Fright Fest was I wanted to go to the festival and uh, I kept missing when the bloody thing was on. So I sort of made a mental note when it was on and I saw that the year I went, the first year, they had all of the George Romero zombie films on, and George Romero was there in person. Oh, awesome. And the premiere of Land of the Dead. So whenever that came out, uh, that was my first ever Fright Fest, but I only went for one day. I had a day ticket, and uh, I, I just went for the one day. And, and as usual, you go there for a day, you, you come away, and you think, oh, okay, everyone else is now enjoying themselves for the next few days, and I'm back at home. So... Literally the next year, that was it. I, every, I've been there every year since. Yeah, I had the same experience. I went um, 2008 uh, with day passes. Um, I actually sort of gradually got into it. 2007, I went to see a few films there. Um, especially um, there was one uh, called the, oh, uh, the Zombie Diaries because there was an actor in it that I was wanting to work with. And so i did that and then the following year i did day passes and i had the same experience where i missed the sunday and that yeah. was that was the year they were showing human centipede and that's what everybody was talking about and i really felt like i'd missed out so the following yeah. year that was it i got the weekend pass and i 
been getting it ever since. So I've been there longest apart from Clive then. I That's feel right. quite good about that, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm, I must admit, every year it was one of those things that uh, I always meant to go to, but could never bloody afford to go to. <laughs> and until a couple of years back, I ended up just saying, fuck it and biting the bullet and um, basically buying the the pass for the weekend and was was really pleased that I did. And uh, as I said, this this one coming up next week will be my uh, my third year in a row at the full festival pass. Mm. So good and- stuff. And interestingly, this year's lineup for me, the last sort of three years have, have sort of, in a, in a way, since they instigated the Discovery Screen, which I didn't like, to be honest with you, uh, because I felt that it it diluted the the lineup effectively initially. Because I, I like the idea of everyone all seeing the same film coming out afterwards, and everyone chatting about that one film. Unfortunately, with with the, the now because of logistics and the cinema they've got, they now split the screens and the screenings up into three smaller screens, um, and you got the discovery. So you can come outside; everyone doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about because you've seen a totally different film to what they've seen. Um, so, to me, it, I think it's for me personally. I think it's lost those early days of feeling like you're all in it together. Uh, which is part of the attraction and the fun because you're all you'd literally come out of that film and you'd all chat about it and whether you liked it or didn't like it, it wasn't relevant. It was just the fact you all felt like you're all in the, you're having the shared experience. And now we've gone to smaller screens. Uh, I, I personally feel that it's lost something and it feels a bit more corporate nowadays. Having said that, the lineup they've now got this year is almost a throwback to the early years when I went where I really don't know any of the films at all. And there's, there's no big block budget blockbusters except maybe, uh, is it uh, Sinister or... No, no, there's a James Wan film on, that I think that's on, that's a big film. But apart from that, for me, uh, this year, I'm really looking forward to it. It's got a good vibe of old, old school, you know, let's look at getting decent films on the main screen that um, in past years I felt that maybe through commercial, you know, pressure, they, I mean, for Christ's sakes, we had the Hammer of the Gods on as a mainstream film, a Viking film that was shit. Um, that, to be honest with you, had no good goddamn reason for being on a f- horror festival. It was just, you know, maybe had a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of action, um, but it, it was Vikings and I just thought, no, I think they lost, I felt they lost their way a bit over the last couple of years, but this year it looks like they're, they're back on form again. Um, don't know what you think, Simon and Clive. Well, I'm going to say that um, for me, the last best Fright Fest was the one two years ago, uh, the, the last one, The Empire. Mm. Yeah, that was that was my first one, and, mm. and I was pleased to have experienced it in the what no longer exists but the empire one cinema which was massive and mm. yeah to watch the films in with that audience uh was pretty impressive i have to say did you yeah. see me up on the screen as pinhead because that's where my ident screened actually it was the one, the, one of the it was the ident competition i turned into pinhead pinhead as I'm, opposed to knobhead eh as opposed to dickhead yeah <laughs> so so um so i was quite pleased that 1200 people got to see my ident so after being in makeup for hours and hours which is something i normally only reserve for people that you know deserve it like clive 
Hey, look, Mike, me and Clive can up you on that one. We actually appeared on the Empire stage. And I was at that. That's the yes. first time I went. In when yeah, I, when, I know you um, did. Yes, yes, I remember that. We went there to show our teaser trailer for uh, Habeas Corpus. What that. year was that? That was 2010. Wow, okay. Yeah, I turned up for that. I remember that. You had some shit films that followed, though. I was like, bloody hell, it was some awful gangster uh, horror flick thing. That well, was uh, no, uh, Primal, wasn't it? It was directly following That's correct. Us. It was Primal. Yeah, which was but, awful. But, but, there were, but there was also the, was it... Uh, the the East End uh, gangster horror thing as well. On the Not same dead, day. sir. Yes. No. That that was a fucking pile of shit. <laughs> Don't hold back, Mike. Say what you think on these. Well, you know what done, I mean. That was done by <laughs> one of the guys out of Spandau Ballet, the Kemp brothers, because he's doing films with Danny Dyer now, which some of them are, are dire. And some of them are okay. <laughs> but fair enough, he, that's what he's doing. But Dead Cert was a pile of fucking shit. That's all I've got to say on the matter. Yes, we forgot We forgot to say that this is a uh, X-rated <laughs> swearing um, <laughs> podcast with yeah. spoilers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a big E by our, our podcast. We're very explicit on this podcast. There's not, not one podcast that we don't get away with without swearing. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry, Indeed. I digressed there, but I had to say that. That's all right. But uh, thankfully, Sound like you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, me and Clive, we didn't have to watch those films because after the, the screening of our trailer, we were out of there. And we went straight to the Phoenix and we got plastered. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we, cele- say, we celebrated. Yeah. And, I have uh, to say, guys, I was very impressed at the time that you guys were showing that on that Empire One screen. I was like, that's that's pretty awesome. So, it yeah. was. It was very awesome. The weird thing is, I never knew both of you then, did I? No. You no, avoided me. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We went, what's that strange bloke in the audience? We don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And here we all are. <laughs> mm. But I'm um, right. curious, uh, Mike, which was the first year you went? Do you know? Land of the Dead, when that was the premiere. So did you see my my short film Snatching Time when that showed i don't fucking know to be honest so that with was you. 2006 yeah i probably did i saw everything i was lapping up i was there all day didn't have twins of evil showing that day as well uh i oh, know that's the following year i think that was a following i think year. i think that was later you were definitely lapping it up then mm. i think land of the dead was 2007 oh yes that's the following year yeah because I, I i remember seeing land of the dead at the cinema the day before I went off to screen uh, to shoot Blood and Roses, which was back in 2007. So there you go. I've been there um, eight years. It's scary where time goes, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Right, should we crack on with the uh, choices then? We shall indeed. So, um, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> what is your choice for movie heaven? Right, I'm going to be very brief. Okay. But my choice for movie heaven is a film that was screened as the first film on Saturday morning. So you can imagine everyone would have gone out, got pissed up on the Friday. No one would have been in there. The cinema was half full. And I saw one of the, to, to this day, one of the best balls out revenge movies I've ever seen. And it's called The Horseman in 2008. Um, so actually that was, so I must have been there, yeah, 2007, that ties in. Um, it's an Australian made film. Apparently it, as Keith told me from the from the extras that he's because he's watched it, he bought my Blu-ray. But uh, 
it was based on a short film. Um, it's about this guy who is a divorced father and uh, he's, a, he's a bug killer. You know, he goes around sort of as pest controller in Australia and there's, sort of, there's got to be some big bugs out there. Anyway, what happens is he gets a videotape through the post um, after, you know, he's, he's, apparently his daughter dies. She, she phones him and, uh, and she's drugged up and she, she, she dies and um, they have the, you know, he has the funeral and he's got her ashes there and this, this video arrives in the post and in it, it shows her being sort of coerced in a sort of inner city porn film. I think it's called City Sluts or something. I've been trying to track that down for ages, but um, um, well, didn't he buy all the copies? No, hold on, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> so, so what happens is he gets this videotape and he sees that not his daughter's is clearly drugged and under some sort of coercion in this video, and uh, this really pisses him off. So, what he decides to do is start off a furious re- revenging rampage. So what he does, he, he to kick it, kick us off. He goes to the video uh, production um, place, and there's this big guy there, and um, he says, oh, you know, "Have you got this this video?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "How many do you want?" He says, "I want all of them." Um, and he he basically stabs the guy. But the thing about this film is that the portrayal by the main star, Peter Marshall. Um, of this father who's been devastated by this, this, this event of his daughter dying, but then to discover that she was being coerced by these filthy fucks in the porn industry. Um, you know, you can really feel the passion and, and the hatred and the, his, the actual absolute fury in him. And what I love about this film, apart from the fact everyone knows I love revenge films is that, you see him trying to keep himself under control, maintain a normal conversation, and then he just fucking explodes. Uh, and he leaves a trail of devastation in his wake. Um, and the film is a bit of a road movie at night. You know, the Australian highways are very long, very very similar to American highways. And he's on this trail to eventually lead himself to the ultimate people who actually appeared in the video and to resolve this question of what, why they did it and who did it. Um, and along this journey, he, uh, one particular bloke he tortures, he ties him up and he's naked, this old geezer in a boxing gym, and he shoves a, the end of a pump right up the end of his Johnson and then he decides <laughs> to uh, pump up his penis. <laughs> Not that you see it, but it's inferred and... Uh, I'm with him all the way. I'm with him on that journey as far as I'm concerned. I'm like there cheering him on, beating the shit out of everyone. And, and you know, it takes a few twists and turns along the way. He meets a young girl who's on a journey from one place to the other in Australia. So he decides to give her a lift. And, and I think there's some implied thing that she's the same age that his daughter would have been. And so there's some sort of correlation there and empathy. Uh, along the way, he dishes out the ashes of his daughter. Uh, you know, he gets throws the ashes into the sea, and or it could be a river. I don't know, but um, it all leads to a, a what you think is going to be a, um, a standard sort of revenge flick where he kills everyone. But then there's a twist where there's a ah, oh, funnily enough, a bent copper who, um, if you can all hear that siren, who basically they track him down f- from a phone of one of his previous 
guys along the chain uh, of this um, this conspiracy, and um, he actually finds himself on the receiving end of some a particularly nasty torture where he gets one of his nipples ripped off with a pair of pliers, which hats off to him. That's a really nasty, uh, nasty torture. And then it's burnt with a, with a butane torch. Um, but what I like about the film, even though some distressing things happen by these absolute scumbags is that they actually get their just desserts and, um, there is a lot of revenge films still with the thing like, even if you've had your revenge, how do you feel about it? Was it worth it? And all the rest of it. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he, he sorted them out and, uh, he got everyone involved in this conspiracy. And, um, unfortunately some, there is some collateral damage because, uh, the girl that's with him gets taken and they, they abuse her similarly, but she does get saved, but obviously she's been a bit traumatized, but, uh, some of the fight sequences in it are brutal. There's steel pipes being smashed against faces and hose pipes to strangle people. And the brute, I really like the brutal honesty of the film. Um, and the great thing about it is because he's a pest controller, he, he sort of can work his way into people's homes and into their place of business because he's, he's pretending to be, you know, the bug killer, the pest controller. Um, and then there's, I like the idea that, not an easy squashing bugs, but he's, he's taking control. Yeah. You know, he's killing the pests, the human pests that exist in society, uh, that, uh, do these heinous things. So I'm fully on his side and I absolutely love the film. Um, what's pissed me off is that I've looked on IMDb and it's only got a 6.6 rating out of 10. And I'm like, it should be much higher than that in my estimation, because it's well crafted. It's very well at the acting is fantastic. Um, not from any named person that I've ever seen. I mean, maybe in Australia, there's some people that uh, people recognize, but this film for me on Saturday morning, it blew me away. I was absolutely um, knocked out by how well this film was made. The acting was top class, the script, the story, everything was superb. Um, and I can't praise it highly enough. Well, Mike, I was there on that Saturday morning watching it as well. Good man. I remember, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. But um, the thing that this film does really well is that is as much as you enjoy the torture in a sense, it's not without consequences. Mm. Uh, the fact that the main character, he's always getting beaten up. It's not yeah. He's not an invincible superhero. Like Jackie Chan. <laughs> he's not like nobody like that he is like if it was you or me in that situation taking these guys on then the same things would happen to you i mean i love the way that it's told in a non-linear manner and what i mean is that the we start off near the beginning once it's all set up him um attacking the guy who makes all the video copies so he's like the second person along yeah. So you you go into it straight away, and then it cuts back to him on the road trying to find the, like the next. He's trying to find the actors in the film. Yeah. And then he picks up the girl. So, but you you already into the action, and it it cuts back to um, how he feels about his daughter, how he sees a, his daughter as a little girl. Yeah. And also just how he went through the grieving process. Well, I like your point that he's an everyman. He mm. he's. He's not a, an action superstar. He's just this 40 to 50 year old something 
middle-aged businessman who's had this traumatic event. And what I like about it is that, in a way, because he's not married, he's not, you know, he's lost pretty much his only family. Um, and he thinks, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort these blokes out. I'm gonna get justice because there's no justice in the world. And this is something which is a strong theme with my films is that I, I do like to see the good guys win, and I do like to see justice um, dished out to people that bloody deserve it. So, um, yeah. which will lead me on to my movie Hell, which I will be equally passionate about, but in a different way. Um, um, but. Um, yeah, Keith, you watched it. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I hadn't obviously I hadn't seen it until uh, doing the research for this uh, podcast and borrowed your Blu-ray. And yeah, I mean, having worked with you, Mike, I can see where you got some of your inspiration for yeah, some of the stuff absolutely, you've done. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was a uh, a very well put together, um, tight little film. Uh, it was interesting on the Blu-ray. They they had uh, some behind the scenes. Um, bits and pieces and it was interesting to listen to the filmmaker because he was a pretty young guy um this film was was pretty low budget uh and what they did was they actually they put the short film on there they actually made a short film which was essentially the first 10 minutes of of what you see in the feature uh and they had that on there only it was obviously with with different actors um and they used that to end up getting the funding uh, because it won a few awards at festivals and stuff, yeah. they used that to get the funding to to go ahead and make the the, the feature. Which um, you, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's uh, it's it's great and it worked and it 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 was tense and it kept you on the edge of your seat. And um, mm. yeah, good and very well performed by the by the lead guy particularly. Yeah, Clive, I too saw it at Frightfest, and uh, you know, I had a really positive reaction to it then. I mean, if I had a, one slight criticism when I first saw it, it was that a, a couple of the torture scenes felt a little repetitive because you, you just kept coming back to somebody gets tied to a chair. Um, but I have to say on the rewatch, I, I liked it much more on the second viewing. I mean, for me, if it was just a revenge film, then it would be fine. But that's not really what uh, you know what made me you know sort of really think of it as a, as, a, as a, just a very a, a really good film mm. it's, it's it's more than that it's because of that terrific central performance uh, the fact that it, it focuses as much on his hurt grief and vulnerabilities as rage you know you, you, you know that the guy is sort of is is keeps cutting himself just yeah. so he can feel things and and, and that really touching relationship between him and the sort of runaway girl and, uh, and and who's also sort of had these issues and then and the fact that she can't talk to her parents and obviously uh, he you know lost contact with his daughter and and feels that frustration that he'll never be able to sort of you know reconnect yeah um, so it's it's actually it's it's quite a, it's quite a Mo- touching story yeah um, exactly there's a lot of emotional characterization and you really feel for the guy and um you can as i said it's a very much a situation where you could almost see yourself if you're in that position you know you you can empathize with him uh, and his actions and uh, as i said if you want to torture someone the best thing to do is to tie him to a chair 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're, I mean, you're crit- speaking from experience there. Right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. cr- I mean, critically, you know, you know, the film was kind of uh, criticised because it was brutal. Um, but like the director said in one of the interviews on on the thing, you know, the the, the brutality was a- absolutely essential to the story, and and I agree. I mean, you wouldn't. You, you know, you wouldn't be rooting for this character as passionately as, you know, like Mike was when he was describing the story there, if it didn't have the level of, you know, nastiness and brutality that was there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought it was it it worked, I thought. Yeah, you don't you don't see the worst stuff, you know. Like no. The, the, it, 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 all you see is that he's got these fishing hooks in his hand, you know, for instance, and, and they're attached to something, and we we're pretty clear on what that something is. Wasn't it testicles? I believe it is, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fishing um, hooks and <laughs> testicles. Yes, that makes us all he's sit on the edge of our testes. seats. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the interesting thing was, I think the actor that he used in the short film. Um, mm. To, to play the lead in the short film, the Christian character was actually the guy that um, he he first tortures the one at the boxing place, I believe. He used what the say. old boy? Yeah, yeah, was was the played him because the the, the short film was actually made several years beforehand. Oh um, right, and you looked uh, a bit yeah. too old to do that sort of level of violence to me. But there you go. Well, you you, you know you watch the uh, when I give you the Blu-ray back. Yeah, I'll weekend, watch, it. watch yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. I, I think it's a, it's a, it's one of the best revenge films that I've ever seen in my book, and uh, I can't praise it highly enough. And uh, to put it on at that slot, well, that's fine. It wasn't a very well known film, and in a way, okay, it's not a horror in quotes like gothic or scary or whatever. But um, horror. The thing about the horror genre, it covers so many different facets, you know, mm. violence, um, crime, crime, almost crime movies can be horror movies. I mean, like my films, they're, they're sort of more like crime horror yeah. rather than what you'd, well, you know. Horror is kind of a cross genre in many yeah. respects. Um, you know, it's one of these mixed genre type um uh, film categories, which, <laughs> you know, it's often mixed with another genre as well. You know, yeah. so, I think Fright basically for me, they got it on the money on that one. I was like, well happy with that. And as what happens with Fright Fest is that you do dig up some gold when you go to Fright Fest, just because often there's, there's, there's a middle ground of okay films. Then there's a slew of what we'd probably call crap. Um, uh, or not necessarily to our particular taste, but that it's like music it's or like in the heavy metal music genre, you've got so many different types of music that could be called heavy metal, but they're all radically, all drastically different. But, and and yeah. it's the same with any genre of, you know, grouping horror. Um, it could be anything. Um, it's true. I mean, you have to sit through a lot of shit, um, you know, and, <clears throat> but you always do find a gem somewhere amongst yeah. it. So, yeah. Can I ask you guys, um, what film for you did you see at Fright Fest that you thought was going to be shit but worked out well? Because for me, it was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I thought that was going to be good from the off, actually, because I, I, I was sort of aware of Norwegian crime, Scandinavian cop dramas, um, uh, and I thought it was going to be good. So I thought the film that was going to be shit that I actually really enjoyed um, was uh, 1408. 
you know, the John Cusack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed that, and I thought that was going to be a bit pony, so, um, you know. <laughs> Five? Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. I mean, I've, I have to say that uh, that when I saw the running time of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, my heart sank, because it's like nearly three hours long. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh, if this is this, if this is not good, then this is going to be a hard sit. But it, it wasn't. It was great. Um, so what did I? Oh yeah, uh, uh, the remake of Maniac. I thought. Okay. Yeah, that's cracking. I saw yeah. Elijah Wood was was in it. No offense to the guy. <laughs> and and I just I I thought, well, that doesn't seem like a good fit. And mm. it, it just seems it's from what I'd heard that it was just a glossy remake of something which didn't need remaking. So I was kind of, you know, had my hackles up and, and was uh, thinking, oh, another another effing remake. And it was, you know, and it's it's a really good film. You know, oh, it's brilliant. I, I, it's yeah. absolutely, it was one of the highlights of, of the, you know, the 2012 Fright Fest. It was brilliant. Yeah, so. it was actually. Keith? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got a lot less material to draw on than you guys, <laughs> obviously, but... Uh, I'm just trying to think, actually, because, um, you, you know, I'm usually fairly uh, optimistic about most films before going in. I mean, there was one last year and you have to forgive me because I can't. I'm just trying really hard to think of the name of it. But it was a Eli Roth film. Um, oh, Green Inferno. Yes, Green Inferno. Now, you know, Eli Roth, uh, I like some of his early stuff, but there's a, there's a lot of his stuff that I don't particularly like. And I was kind of, what the hell is happening, by the way? I know. Start again, Keith. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I was just putting some ice in the whiskey. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Can't can you mute your thing? Yeah, yeah, I could, but I thought, fuck it. Yeah, this, 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 is, this is coming from the man that said he'd be brief, by the it's way. It's only Keith, because um, he, he waffles on so much. Oh, pot, pot calling kettle black here. Anyway. Um, oh, you're keeping all this gold inside. Yeah, I, uh, this is all good banter. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, that film, uh, Eli Roth, you know, I, I, I'm a bit sort of hit and miss with his stuff. And I went and I didn't like necessarily the, the sound of it, the subject matter and whatever. But it was actually a very good film. So, um, yeah, I, that, that's one that surprised me. Which is yet to get way. distribution. Well, mm. this is the thing. That was the other thing we're going to see at Fright Fest. <laughs> Part of the reason I went was, you know, to see that film was because, you know, there was this question mark about whether it would actually get released or whether it would only be sh ever shown at Fright Fest. So, well, um, also, Fright Fest know. is good because you often get to see films like The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. That didn't even come out for a year. Yeah. So that's yeah. another good thing about yeah. even if you have to sit through some dross, you actually you actually sort of getting like a sneaky peek. But you know you feel a little bit good about yourself because you're getting to see some stuff that you can say to someone. Oh yeah, yeah, you want to go and see that? That was awesome. Like the guest or something like that. You know, no, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can yeah. certainly name I can certainly name films the other way that I might have been looking forward to, but turned out to be a bit of a disappointment. Like for example, last year. Uh, the second Sin City film. I was a big oh, fan yeah. of Sin City. Yeah. Second film, apart from having Eva Green walking around naked. I was about during, to say. It was the only thing that kept me interested, really. Eva the Green, rest of it was pretty bad. <laughs> Eva Green naked was the was the best reason to watch that film. Yeah, and I mean, Jessica Alba's great, you know, even though she doesn't get naked. Jessica Alba is always worth a watch. But other, otherwise, in terms of a sequel, anyway, to I was a bit disappointed with Robert Rodriguez, and it seemed to 
be all about being 3D, which I didn't think it needed to be, really. But, um, you know. I think he shot his load on the first Sin City. I think it, it really paled into insignificance other than Eva Green. So I'd go and watch that tomorrow. With, In fact, he's on Netflix, actually. I might go and watch it when everyone's out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it! Oh, all right. Let, let's let's move on. Uh, so, Keith, what's your pick for Movie Heaven? Right, my pick from Movie Heaven actually comes from two years ago uh, when when it was the last year at um, at the Empire One, and mm-hmm. uh, went to see. Uh, it was one of the films I think on the last night. In fact, uh, it might have been the penultimate film uh, of the event, and it was called Cheap Thrills. Uh, actually, it wasn't the last film. It was the, the penultimate s- film. No, no, it was wasn't, a Saturday night. Wasn't film. Big Bad was Wolves it? the penultimate or the last? No, film that, uh, Big that Bad time. Wolves was the final film yes, show right, at the yeah, Empire. All yeah. oh, right, I thought Cheap Thrills was right before no, that. No, but... it was a, it was a Saturday night screening. Yeah, that was great. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, um, wonder, wonderful film. Didn't went into it not having any idea what to expect, um, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Very much a sort of uh, a black comedy in in many respects. Um, I mean, in terms of you know, wh- wh- whenever you do study about screenwriting and and you know, guerrilla filmmaking or no to low budget filmmaking or whatever, you know, they always tell you. Just take a minimum amount of characters and put them in one location and, uh, you know, uh, make the tension really high. And that's exactly what you did with this. Essentially, you've got four characters. Uh, You've got Craig, played by Pat Healy. He's a a mechanic. Um, He's got a young uh, baby and and a wife. And, you know, right from the beginning, they set it up that he's got financial problems. There's a repossession thing uh on some of his property his his uh rent is so many months behind that he's getting a, an eviction notice you know and basically he goes into work one day to find that he also doesn't have a job anymore um so decides to go to a uh, a small bar in 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 set in los angeles uh where he meets a really old school friend called vince played by ethan embry um and basically, this guy was obviously sort of picked on him a bit when they were at school. Um, he'd done some time in jail. He, he, you know, he'd, he'd got into some bad stuff and uh, was sort of down on his luck as well. And they're in this very quiet bar. And then in the, in the corner are a, um, a couple, uh, which turn out to be Colin and Violet. Now, Colin's played by David Koshner, who is best known for his role in The Office, the U.S. Office, where he plays uh, Todd Packer, one of the sales guys. And uh, Violet's played by Sarah Paxton. And I believe Pat Healy and Sarah Paxton starred together in a film called The Innkeepers, which I didn't see, but I know you like it, Simon, right? Yes, that's right. That was actually going to be my original pick for Movie Heaven, but I changed my mind. Was that a Ty West one? There was the Ty West one. I really enjoyed it. It was actually a film that um, properly scared me. Yeah, that was a creepy film. I was actually crawling up in my seat. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Okay. But anyway, uh, the the setup is that um, Colin and Violet uh, are out. It's her birthday, apparently. And Colin, quite obviously, is a man with lots of wealth, um, you know, buying drinks left, right and centre. These two end up joining them for a drink. and they want to have a laugh. And he's obviously got more money than sense. And um, he starts to 
makes silly little bets with them. Like he, he tells uh, one of them to go up and talk to a woman at the bar. And if he gets a slap round the face, he'll give him 60 bucks and things like that. So th th this tends to escalate and they end up going to uh, uh, th there's only three locations in this. Basically, the bar, a strip club where they go and then they end up at uh, the home of, of Colin and Violet, which is a uh, in the Hollywood Hills, um, quite a quite a luxurious uh, place. Um, and it, it just turns into this situation where uh, both Craig and Vince clearly don't have any money and Colin and Violet, having plenty of money, kind of get off on the fact that uh, they can make silly little bets and the guys will compete against each other. You know, and it starts with really, you know, trivial things like who can hold their breath the longest, etc. But then it starts to get you know, quite disturbing. And uh, the thing that's great about this this film is it, it shows what people will do for money, you know, when they're really desperate. So, um, you know, the bets become more and more uh, ridiculous uh, uh, as the film goes on, but, but at the same time keeps you absolutely on the edge of your seat. And, mm. you know, the whole time we're with this Craig character who we know is absolutely desperate you know, he's got a young kid, he's got his wife, he's about to lose his home, etc. Um, but I mean, it gets to a point where uh, <laughs> they it, they're running out of ideas of what to do. And uh, Colin offers him some money to sleep with his wife, uh, yes. sleep with Violet, uh, which obviously Vince will do for nothing. <laughs> and uh, we always... Craig... Craig initially says, well, no, I won't do that because I'm I'm married and, you know, my principles won't. Uh, I don't cheat on my wife, even though uh, he's, you know, Colin certainly does asking him to sleep with his wife. But he puts the money on the table and he puts the exact amount of money that he needs to get his um, repayments on his on his rent. And basically, uh he goes for this. Uh, there's, there's a very amusing and quite sick scene where uh, they're having <laughs> sex and, 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 the, and the wife says that she's coming. And then all of a sudden you hear the husband say, so am I. And poor Vince realizes <laughs> that the husband's jerking off right next to him. And he ends up, there's this moment of silence and he just goes, what the fuck? And the whole audience <laughs> laughed because that was, uh, that was, that it was, was very nicely paced. <laughs> Absolutely. It was very good. But then it gets mm. to a point where he, he, he suggests amputating his pinky finger for like $25,000. And, you know, at this point, Craig was about to leave with the money that he needed to, to, to pay off his rent. But suddenly he thinks, hold on, twenty five thousand dollars could actually change my life it could change the life for me and my wife and kid and everything so there's a very edge of your seat very well done scene where uh he his finger gets amputated and uh he has to cauterize the wound with a with an iron you know really nasty stuff when you think about all of this um but the trouble is while all this is going on the rivalry between Craig and Vince builds and builds, um, you, you know, and, you, you know, Vince doesn't see why uh, Craig keeps winning everything and, and keeps, you know, going for it. So it eventually gets 
really nasty up to the point where they have tie. Well, they're asked to uh, to deal with a dog next door that keeps crapping on the lawn. And the first thing they have to do is go and do a crap in the neighbor's house, which, again, Craig wins. Uh, but what uh, Vince decides to do is actually uh, steal the dog from next door and, and bring the dog with them. And of course, throughout all this chaos, the dog ends up eating Craig's amputated finger and die, chokes and dies on it. So what they do as the final thing is they actually, and this is where the audience are really squirming, they uh, microwave the dog <laughs> and they offer them £250,000 for whoever will eat, finish eating the, their half of the dog first, which is a, a very vomit-worthy scene indeed. Mm. Um, and it, it, you know, it builds further, but I actually don't want to say that in case somebody hasn't seen this because they really need to go and see this and see the uh, ending. Look, if they're listening to this, they should have seen it. So we'll, we'll, let's talk about the ending. I mean, the ending right. is that they, the ending's uh, dark. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, the thing is that this couple have made a bet with themselves to see which one they call them their they're, they're like horse, don't they? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Or, uh, they're all the, their boy, and they've made a bet to see who would kill the other for money. Absolutely, because this, this is what this whole night has been leading up to is seeing who out the two of them would kill the other one, and you think Vince is going to do it? You totally think Vince is going to do it? Vince is going to do it, yeah. and he's the only one who shows some conscience yep. about it. But Craig doesn't. Because I, f I forgot to mention that in the middle of all this, Vince actually comes up with a plan to rob um, Colin and Violet and, you know, gets Craig in on that. But it all goes terribly wrong. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, so it, in the end, then, fuck it. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But in the end, um, Craig does end up killing Vince, his, his buddy from school. Uh and takes all of this money home to his wife and child. And the final shot is him stood in their small apartment with a massive pile of money, pretty much covered from head to toe in blood with a, yeah. with a finger missing and a broken nose and, and all sorts of things from that day. But the, the, the reason I chose it for movie heaven is it's one of those things. I, I, I went in not knowing what to expect at all. And it delivered and the reaction it got from the audience, you know, all around me as well. It had people crying out. It had people sitting on the edge of their seats. It had people squirming at some of the things they would do. And it left everybody sort of speechless at the end with the, with this, the, with this shock ending. So I think it really worked. Um, I subsequently went and bought the U.S. Uh, DVD edition of it because it had a commentary and a 45 minute documentary and loads of extras because uh, I wanted to find out more about this and this was actually the first film that this director had ever made a guy called E.L. Katz um, he's since done one of the ABC's of death um, episodes or something but he had done nothing before this uh, this was an extremely low budget film you know shot in in quite difficult conditions. Uh, it was interesting that Pat Healy, who plays Craig, and Ethan Embry, who plays Vince, apparently didn't get along too well during the shoot, which kind of, I think, fed into the, you know, mm. they were being rivals all the way through this. And I think some of that was going on offset as well as onset. 
And what was quite interesting was the key scene in the film, the film where they cut off the finger. Apparently, they lost that. They, they shot this on digital and the file got corrupted or deleted or something. So they lost their key scene and actually had to go and reshoot that, which, um, which you know, okay. they, they talk about in some detail and was quite heartbreaking, particularly for Pat Healy, who put an awful lot into that performance, uh, obviously the first time round, but, you know, he certainly got there again in the reshoot. Um, so, yeah, so that that is my movie heaven pick from the uh, from the two Fright Fests that I've been to so far. Cheap Thrills, which was made in 2013. Well, I just want to say that um, it was certainly a um, cut the audience down the middle kind of film. Because I remember there was a, quite a few people who didn't like that film. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, there was. I heard from some people who said they did not like that film. Fucking wow. idiots. <laughs> okay. I, that I, I, film was awesome. Yes, it is. It's very good. And the, what I love about it is it brings you in through its humor. Yeah. It's very jovial. It's, you know, as as you say, the, the bets at the beginning are very sort of, you know, kind of jokey, kind of having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. But it just keeps getting darker and darker. Slapping a stripper and, on the ass and seeing what happens yeah. and things like that. Yeah. We've all done that. <laughs> you know, it's 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 all done with a, a lightness of touch, but as it goes on, it gets darker, and you see this sort of old friendship, or is it that friendship? Um, you know, break apart over money. Who wrote yeah. the script? Because um, the script was phenomenal, wasn't it? A, a it guy was called Superb, Trent Hager, which I'm not sure what he's done before. Did a uh, top job on the script. Yeah, there's uh, two writers, uh, David. Kirkrillo, God, that's a name. Yeah, I'm not sure what they've done before, but I agree. I mean, any any course or book or whatever you read on on script writing, uh, you know, for a low budget, um, this ticks all those boxes. You know, you've yeah. you've really only got the four characters, the odd extra or other character, but it's pretty much these four, and they spend most of it in the one location. Um, mm which is this, uh, this home. And, uh, you know, it really works. And, and, you know, I'm not usually so into the comedy stuff, to be honest. Um, you know, I kind of like fairly dark thrillers and whatever. But in, th in this particular case, I agree totally with what you're saying, Simon. The humour was, was the best thing about it. And it really, really worked and really twisted the darkness of it towards the end then. Absolutely. So, yeah. But the, the humour wasn't, it wasn't like played for last. The humour came real. out, the situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was very much a situation comedy, if you had to describe it in those terms, definitely. Um, but It was a, uh, it was a bit yeah. like an extreme version of Jackass, in a way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would say that there was some influence there. Not as nauseating as Jackass, but yeah. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? They're always trying to one-up each other. And yeah. um, I think that that is quite – people find that funny. I find that quite funny sometimes. And, um, yeah, I, I like I like the, the whole theme of what, what are you willing to do for money? Yeah, um, well, and, 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 uh, and the fact that they really twist on the characters, because, of course, Greg, the main character in this, is the guy that you sort of empathise with for, for most of the film, but he turns <coughs> out doing the most heinous things of all, you know, uh, between the mm. cheating and the obviously the murder and all this sort of thing. Whereas, 
you know, the guy they set up as a bit of a scumbag, Vince, as, mm. as Simon rightly said, was the only guy that really ends up with a conscience out of all of them. Well, that was the thing, that you've got a guy who's got glasses who seems to be a bit of a square, really, a bit of a, you know, someone that would work. Didn't he work Did he work in a shop or something? He looked like a shop assistant or something. No, he was a mechanic. A mechanic, he was a mechanic, yeah. But he, he looked like someone who wouldn't say boo to a goose, and the other guy looked a bit more streetwise. And, yeah, I like I like the twist on that, where they, they switch, did a switcheroo. And, uh, and um, also I like Violet because she was uh, gorgeous. Hot, so, yeah, no, she's yeah. very nice. Um, Clive, what did you think? I thought, well, at the time, I, you know, I loved it when I first saw it, and on rewatch, you know, I still love it. I mean, for me, it feels it it felt at the time, and it still feels like a really timely movie. It feels like a proper like movie about the austerity era that we're living in. You know, this sort of because it cuts straight through to that question of you know, you know what what happens when people are forced to do into those desperate circumstances, and the scene which really kind of got me was. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the sort of the pinky finger, but it's it's what goes before that. It's the fact that there's a bidding war between uh, Craig and Vince about, you know, uh, and, and they're bidding down. It's like it's bad enough to say, OK, I'll cut my finger off for 25 grand. But then when you but then when you uh, when when they're underbidding each other, so it, it ends up it ends up he ends up cutting his finger off for fifteen thousand dollars. That's right. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Sorry. What the hell's that noise? Mike. Sorry. You're making a hell of a lot of noise, man. Sorry, mate. I was just, just took my earplugs out for a second. Sorry. Oh, okay. It them. sounded like somebody was having a good old fart. Sorry. I'll put mine down. <laughs> I need to go to the lavatory for a second. Oh, okay. Okay. So you keep okay. talking. I think, I think somebody probably was having a good old fart then. Yeah. No, not at all. I was just <laughs> a, a, an old around. fart having a good old fart. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Keith, it sounds like you hate me. Right. <laughs> you know I love you, really. <laughs> Hold on, I'll be back in a second. Hold on. Okay, okay. Sorry, Clive. Uh, okay, shall I redo that last bit then? Yes, please. Okay. Don't uh, cut well... this banter out, though. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Keith, let him start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the thing I particularly loved about it is it felt a very timely film, and I think it still feels timely. It's got... It, it it was one of the first films where I watched it and it felt like it was about this like austerity era we're living in uh, because of this focus on what will people do for money? What what happens when when money becomes so tight that it sort of, you know, that, that you people become desperate? And this and the scene that really kind of brought that home to me is we've already mentioned uh, uh, the uh, the pinky finger that got uh, that got severed. But it's what comes. It's what goes before that. The fact that there's a bidding war between Craig and Vince about, you know, because uh, initially it's sort of uh, Vince is like, okay, I'll, I'll cut my finger off for twenty five grand, and then uh, Craig, who sort of we think has gone home, comes back and says, I'll do it for twenty three, and then and then they go in this back and forth, and and Vince is getting increasingly irate, like you're taking money off me by by constantly underbidding, and then fi <laughs> until finally. Craig wins in inverted commas by uh, by saying he'll do it for fifteen grand, and it's like, <coughs> you know, just you think, well, just how low would it have got, you know? But it's it, it's I mean, it's bad enough cutting your finger off for twenty five grand, but cutting it off for fifteen is that's yeah, it's that's bad, man. That's just silly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I'm back. He's back. <laughs> Yay! Right. All right. 
What's um, up next? So, well, Clive, what's your pick for Movie Heaven? My pick for Movie Heaven is from uh, Fright Fest 2007, El Orfanato, The Orphanage, Spanish movie. Mm. A fantastic movie. Mm. This is really great. I'll give you my comments on that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, good, direct, but... uh, directed by uh, Juan Antonio Bayona, uh, who went on to direct uh, The Impossible and uh, I believe is attached to direct World War Z2 as well. Uh, to IMDb, okay. yeah. 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 Um, and. Uh, yeah, and, and and it's obviously he obviously he obviously had a group of people that he uh, liked working with because uh, the writer Sergio G Sanchez uh, also went on to write The Impossible with him, and the DOP Oscar for, uh, for it again went on. So, I mean, I've not seen the, the Impossible. What's that? Is that a horror film or no? No, it's, no. it's Ewan McGregor and uh, Naomi Watts, and it's about the uh, is it about the tsunami? It was wasn't it? It is about the tsunami. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. right, all right, yeah. moving on. So it's a, it's a survival drama, but the right. sort of the big name over this was executive producer Guillermo del Toro. Um, this I think this is the year after Pan's Labyrinth uh, was at Fright Fest, mm. and uh, you know, and like a lot of the stuff that he exec produces, in, in a way similar to sort of how Spielberg was in the eighties, where where his name is producer, you sort of knew you were going to get oh, a quality. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Poltergeist and the sort and Gremlins and so on. Back to the Future, uh, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, but in this case, it, it, you know, if you sort of think of the films he's exec produced, like The Orphanage, so you got, and also the Don't Be Afraid of the Dark remake, uh, Mama, Julia's Eyes, uh, they're 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 all really really sort of high quality uh, horror pictures with with really good produ- uh, production values and just uh, you just know it's like a stamp of quality so yeah. you know, going going into this you know expectations were high and uh, it's clearly influenced by a lot of kind of ghost story movies that have gone beforehand you know like the others the change especially the, the devil's backbone as well to me it's very influenced by that sort of thing as well which is a Guillermo del Toro film wasn't it yeah 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 and the innocence oh definitely i mean uh, apparently uh, to prepare the lead actress the uh, the, uh, the director got uh, uh, belen rueda to uh, to watch two movies uh, he had her watch close encounters of the third kind and the innocence so which is the 1961 adaptation of turn of the screw close um, encounters of the third kind yeah, well, if you think of, really? if you think of, no, if you oh, think sorry, about, I thought you meant ET. I'm getting confused. It's the alcohol. Yeah. Sorry. It, I mean, if you if you think about the, the character of the mother whose child is abducted, then it, oh, right. it, it, it makes sense rather than necessarily oh, yes. the. Uh, uh, I was thinking the, the, phone home with a big glowing finger. <laughs> no, that, 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 that no. doesn't really factor into it. I don't think. No, no. Not, neither Richard Dreyfus uh, making uh, mountains out of uh, mash potato. Mash, yeah. mash potato. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fucking Francois Truffaut for no good goddamn reason in that film as well. He <laughs> <laughs> had to put his like, heroes in there. What the fuck think you are? What's it? Uh, what's the guy who did Oxygen? What's his name? Jean-Michel Jarre. Yeah, he's like, he looked like Jean-Michel Jarre as well. It's like, what are you doing in the film? <laughs> fuck off. We don't need you. you know what I mean? Uh, mm. You were saying, Clive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, I I love this film. I think there's been a few films I've watched at Fright Fest where as I was watching it, I'm like, this is, you know, I'm watching what's going to be a classic horror film here. I'm watching, like, uh, you know, a, a great film. And, and this is one of those things where I just felt it as I was going. But I, I think that the reason why I picked it over maybe a few other movies, like I could have picked, like, Let the Right One In or... Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, or, or Pan's Labyrinth. is <laughs> is. Because uh, I've, I've a really specific fright fest memory of this movie, and that's uh, it, it's it's a very classy film, but there is one particular moment in it where there's this jump scare, and it was it's this one moment when I when I sort of I mean I jumped and the whole cinema it was like it, you, you could literally see I was sort of sat about I think middle of the way sort of you know towards the back and you could you could see everyone like rose out of their seats as one and is then that went the car back down accident? Again. Uh, no, oh, okay. uh, there's, there's more than one jump scare, but, but no, it, it was, it was this sort of, it's only this door suddenly slams shut mm. and, 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 and you're so, and people were so engrossed in it. And it's, I, I've got to say for, for me, the, uh, Bella and Wade as, as, as Laura is fantastic. I mean, I will just briefly sketch in the plot uh, before, mm. you know, sort of throwing it open to, uh, to you guys, but, um, so you've essentially got a situation where uh, uh, Laura is, uh, is is someone who grew up in an orphanage herself and is and is now uh, you know and is now a, a mother of, of Simon and is married to Carlos and what and what they do is they buy her old orphanage with a view to reopening it as a sort of uh, home to help uh, 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 children with uh, who who have uh, you know uh, diseases and handicaps uh, that so that they can sort of nurse them and it's sort of you know giving back really but uh, the moment they move in to her old orphanage things start to go badly Simon who who's uh, who's a bit of a sickly child anyway uh, who had imaginary friends starts to starts to make more imaginary friends in there and uh, starts to sort of uh, show all these aggressive tendencies and and is acting out and there's all these problems and this and it culminates in this sort of in the open day they have for the hopefully what will be the the, the new uh, uh, you know, children who'll come in and their parents where uh, where where uh, where Laura the mother sees. Uh, see, sees this sort of uh, creepy little kid wearing a sack mask uh, and, uh, you know, gets locked in, uh, who at the time she thinks is uh, is her son sort of playing dress up and she gets, uh, you know, violently sort of forced back in, uh, into this, uh, uh, into the bathroom and locked in and she uh, eventually gets broken out but and then she discovers that, uh, that her son has, uh, has disappeared. So it develops into this mystery of what's happened, and she becomes increasingly obsessed uh, and with the idea that that uh, that that house the house is haunted, and that that uh, that her son was uh, was abducted by these sort of these children that live in the house, and so so she ends up, she brings in uh, uh, sort of psychic help to try and help uh, connect. Uh, with the with the people living in the house and it, it sort of, it, it sort of goes on from there but it's really it, it, it's really the characters and the emotional journey that sort of really bring you into it uh, I mean you, you know you can point out the influences but you just absolutely feel for these uh, for her all the way through and the couple and 
it, it's it, it's all it really picks its moments to you know as, as to where when they're going to have a jump scare or when they're going to use gore and there's some really nice sort of gory moments there, there's a moment where someone gets hit by a car and you see what happens afterwards and it's and and they're just sort of spotted in there but it's just sort of it just you're constantly uh, sort of uneasy and then uh, for me I think the way it ends which I won't spoil I think is absolutely beautiful and, and moving so yeah I mean, what did you guys think well I just want to say I remember my friend Jason talking about this film seeing it at Fright Fest and he said it was the only film at the end where even all the big guys were blubbering well I won't blubber there was a lot of, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of tears there was a lot of tears at Fright Fest that year <laughs> yeah <laughs> Tears of misery sometimes after watching a pile of shit, but yeah. Yeah. Now, I, oh come I, on there, Mike. What's your opinion I, there? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want it? Do you want a positive one before we get the negative one? Then. <laughs> no, no. Let's I'm get the negative you. one out of the way. All oh, right. Go on, <laughs> go on Mike. Oh no. No, Mike. No, was, you go. All right. Just... all right. Okay. This is my opinion. I I like the film so much that I bought it on Blu-ray. Um, and uh, I thought it's a very effective ghost story. The emotional stuff about children being lost is great. Uh, I like the. I particularly like the knock knock game, where basically, not to mention Richard Knock in this conversation, but uh, <laughs> where that she would turn her back and then she'd knock three times, and people behind you would like try and get to close to you, and then by the, when you turn round they've got to be like statues not moving and there's they employed a creepy version of it with ghosts which was really effective um i like the twist i actually like her so much about it it's just that i actually think pan's labyrinth is a better film that's that's my only caveat to that is i thought she thought pan's labyrinth was a better movie but i'd really enjoy the orphanage and i totally agree with clive is that it's got this it's beautifully shot um it looks gorgeous the acting's great and as you so often find with foreign films, they they tend to get the balance of the child actors and the adult actors just right. You know, I watched that pile of crap, overhyped pile of shit called The Babadook last year. And I was like, everyone's going on about it. And I hated the kid in that. I hated the mother. And and I was like, why, why is there such a fuss about this? It really did nothing for me because The Orphanage is a top class film and mm. it totally deserves to be a movie heaven. So there you go, Keith. Put that in your pipe and wow. smoke it. There you go. No, <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I mean, I um, I hadn't seen obviously I hadn't seen this at Fright Fest, and the the way I came across it was um, I I went to buy a blue when I first got a Blu-ray player, uh, which I suppose was like 2009 or whatever. Uh, I started going out to buy Blu-rays, and I went out to buy specifically Pan's Labyrinth because I had seen that on the big screen, and I thought it was a wonderful film, and I wanted it on Blu-ray. And I remember right next to it, they were doing this sort of two-for-one offer, and uh, it was with The Orphanage, which obviously, you know, had Guillermo del Toro's uh, name on it as well. So I thought, yeah, sod it, let's 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 give it a whirl. And um, it, you know, it's one of those films that I watched at home uh on blu-ray but uh you know was equally captured by it as i would have been in the cinema i thought the story was great the the acting was extremely good um i agree with you about kid actors and whatever in this case uh it was very very good uh i found the whole 
sackhead boy thing, you know, very, very creepy. In fact, yeah. it reminded me of a, again, another film that I'm sure you probably saw at Fright Fest and, and I caught, which I think is a great film as well. Totally different kind of film, but Trick or Treat. But it mm. kind of reminded yeah. me of the, the little sackhead boy in that, yeah. you know, to a certain extent. Um, but uh, no, I, I thought it was great. Um, I rewatched it again this weekend and uh, was reminded what I loved about it, um, particularly the ending, which, uh, you know, which is very moving. Um, and interestingly, they had a uh, on the Blu-ray, they had Mark Commode did a sort of 40 minute Q&A session um, from when the film screened, you know, with the director. Uh, but what's interesting is that, that they already mentioned that there was going to be, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but they mentioned that there was going to be a Hollywood remake. However, oh, fucking hell. that's never happened, has it? And that was years ago. No, good, it hasn't. good job too, because there's another good film, an Argentine film called House at the End of Time that I saw at Fright Fest last year. I right. hope they don't remake that. That was a brilliant film. And you guys catch that. That is a similar sort of No, thing. I missed it. Oh, you gotta yeah. catch that, guys. That is that is an awesome. If you like this okay. film, you will love the house at the end of time. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> mm. I will say about this film why I in some ways I prefer it over Pan's Labyrinth. And for me, it's because there are actual moments in it where it's scary. I mean, the bit where the ghost hunters come in and you've got the night vision cameras and you've got that wonderful performance by Geraldine Chaplin. Yes. Who's it's when I first saw it, it creeped the hell out of me. It sent shivers right up my spine. But also it's effective in the sense that, you know, it does, you know, it, it emotionally affects you because at the end of the day, what happens to the kid is partly the mother's fault. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. And that that really hits you, you know, because all yeah. that time when she's searching for the kid, you want her to find him. Yeah, the reveal was very well done. It was. Even though I found him to be a little bit annoying at times. Just a little bit annoying. I didn't find him as annoying as the one in the Babadook. I wanted to smash. No, no, no in. kid could be as annoying as the <laughs> the kid in the Babadook. <laughs> but that's that's a completely different film, man. I mean, that's just set up where the the mother's overwrought and she's just got so much on her plate. It's ridiculous, uh, and the kids just absolutely fucking film. annoying. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, the the orphanage is a is a great pick, and. Um, and like Keith, it was actually one of the first films I bought with Pan's Labyrinth. But I didn't buy it in a deal. I just I just picked the two of them up because I'd seen I'd seen both of them and I mm. wanted them on, on Blu-ray. Right. Huh. Nice. So, Good choice. So <laughs> Okay, moving on. Uh to my pick for movie heaven, hey. which is the first uh Israeli horror film, Rabies. Mm. Indeed. So Rabies is um, starts off about a a girl is uh, in a trap in a box in the ground and her boyfriend uh, tries to go and find some help when something happens to him and we then cut to the next day and we see that we're in a uh, a wooded reserve and you see like the gameskeepers you know. Uh, they're there doing their job and then you see a group of kids who are, have lost their way they're trying to find some sort of uh, 
it's like a tennis tournament. They're all dressed up for tennis. Uh, and also you have um, the, you know, the, the, the killer, this, this sort of hulking guy. And what happens throughout the whole film is it's a series of, you know, mistaken identity, really. It all starts off with this one guy who, you know, he sets this in, in motion, but then he's knocked out and he stays out of the story until the end. But it's all about mistaken identity. So you have, um, so the girl gets rescued and the boyfriend who's been knocked down by the tennis players. It's quite, it's quite a complicated uh, story. It's fucking weird, this film. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have the boyfriend who runs literally into the, the, the kids who are the uh, going to the tennis tournament. The boys go with him to try and find the girlfriend while the two girls stay behind and call the police. Two coppers turn up. One of them is a dirty cop who likes feeling up young girls. The other one is um, henpecked, trying to get in touch with his wife because they're having marital problems. And they they try and arrest the girls because they see that there's blood on the car from literally running into the, the boyfriend. Um, and then it just sort of escalates from there to the point where people start killing off other people or get killed. But it's all, at the end of the day, it is kind of like this... This one little thing that's happened that goes completely out of control. No, you did very well. You did very well there, Simon, trying to sum up the plot of this <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> I, I gather you don't like it, then. No, I liked it, but I don't know whether it's one of those films that everyone raved about just because it didn't buy into the usual cliches. It's almost like it was going out of its way to not conform to any cliche and as a result it seemed to be a bit of a convoluted mess to me but i prefer i think big bad wolves is a much stronger film my personal no opinion. i think i think this is their stronger film right. i think this is their best film so far and why i like it is because they you you're saying it's you couldn't keep track of it no yeah? I, I kept track of it but what i'm saying is what i kept track of didn't really mean much to me Right. Okay. Well, I like. Yeah, the, I mean, the, well, I like the cop filling up the girls. He was a right twisted bastard. Of course, wasn't he? he did. Yeah. That, no, I mean, I no, mean, that uh, was really good. And the bit with the landmine was good as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what, what I, I only watched this recently for this podcast. Um, I had seen obviously Big Bad Wolves, uh, which they did following this. I'd, I'd seen that on the first year I was at Fright Fest and thought it was very good. Um. What I liked about this is I, I thought it was I liked the way it was shot, but I particularly liked the way it was was edited, whereby they would build a, a scene up to a certain amount of tension and then cut to a tense moment of what's going on with the other characters somewhere else. I, I thought they, that was quite effective because essentially you had a lot of things going on in this. You had a lot of characters and a lot of different storylines and, you know, obviously to move away from the convention of, you know, in horror films, people losing their mobile phones or whatever. In this case, they had a lot of things that were going on via voicemail and mobile phone messages and things of that nature. And I thought that all worked um, worked fairly well and, and, and was pretty tight. Um, the, the other thing 
about this is, uh, as well is they decided to, uh, I think from a budgetary point of view more than anything, they decided to set it in daylight because they could only afford to shoot with available light um, with what they did. And again, that made a big change from people running around in the woods at night to, you know, people running around in the woods in, in the daytime. Uh, you know, covered in blood, looking like these sort of rabid dogs, hence the sort of metaphor for the title, I guess. Well, but, that's what um, I was going to ask, you know, was where did the, uh, maybe I missed where the rabies title came from. I think that was a bit misleading for me. I don't, unless they talk about something that, that leads on to something else that, you know, if someone bites someone, we're right. No, I don't, I don't no, no. It, I think it's just the sort of the, the situation that when people aren't quite sure what's going on, that they become like rabid dogs. I, I would agree. The title is very misleading because um, I remember when I heard about it, I thought it was a film about, um, you know, like a rabies <clears throat> outbreak. Yeah. Well, the, the first shot of the film is a dog in the back of the truck. So you kind of, mm. You know that they're already sort of misleading you from that point, aren't they? So uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, but you know, I, I liked it. I thought it was. Um, it was you different. Know, very entertaining. I think know? it was mm. different, but I don't know. For me, um, I was like, "What's all the fuss about?" I watched it, and and it didn't really. I thought, well, that was bizarre. Um, but it it wasn't sort of for me. It wasn't bizarre in a, a massively great way, like David Lynch would do something bizarre. It was some, it, it, it's, I don't know, maybe because it was shot in daytime in the forest or whatever. It had some interesting characters, had some bizarre situations, but for me, it, it, it did feel very disjointed. That's just my overall feeling. It didn't really knock my socks off the mm. way that everyone was raving about it at the time. I, well, that's I, it. I mean, at, at, at that, I remember at that year's Fright Fest, it was a Discovery Screen film. And it and it got such a reaction that they put it, they showed it twice more because mm. people wanted to see it and couldn't get tickets, and it, and it was it was like the word of mouth hit, you know, because no one had heard anything, and it, you know it, it was this sort of thing. Oh, you got to see it, you got to see it, and you know I, I saw it. I really liked it then. Um, I think uh, I, I think coming back to it, I think it, it does still work. I think the sort of the way it subverts your expectations, I think works. Uh, it reminds me of Mario Barber's A Bay of Blood, okay. uh, a.k.a. Is that because it doesn't make any fucking sense? <laughs> uh, no, because it, it because it's about this sort of chain of killings where mm. it's sort of one killing sort of leads to the other one. And and, and the, so you've got a number of different killers. And for, for me, the, the title Rabies, it's sort of it's a metaphor. It's saying that violence is a contagious wow. disease. You know, the, 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 mm. once you, the once you get and and. and no, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's maybe a, it's a bit of a reach, but <laughs> fucking the, hell, it is. <laughs> uh, no, no, but because it because it's an because it was an Isra specifically an Israeli horror movie, there was the idea that it was somehow a comment on what was going on uh, bet no. between between Israel and Palestine no, and, and this sort of way. like this this ongoing cycle of violence. Well, you know, I, I, I know it, I know the way you're way. justifying it, Clive, but it's like. I think what it was, it actually was a film that wasn't total shit that was on Discovery screen and people started talking about it. That's my opinion of it. It's like, well, actually, it's, it's not bad. It's all right. It's quite interesting. And I think I just think the main thing of it that it's got is that it doesn't 
sort of pandered to the usual tropes. And I think for a lot of people, I suppose that's quite refreshing. Yeah, well, when interviewed, that's what the filmmakers said they were going for, was this oh, right. um, push against the expectations that you normally get from a, in inverted commas, Hollywood, um, yeah. you, you know, slasher, well, not slasher that, film, but, you know. I mean, I mean the, 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 the convention, one of the things that they played on, and they even turned it into a joke at the end of the film, was the, 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 the in inverted commas, slasher killer in this <laughs> never actually gets to kill anyone <laughs> yeah. apart from the dog. But, you know, um, and, I think it's obviously... a very unique film. I think yeah. from that perspective, you know, you tip your hats off to them. They, they did create something very unique. And uh, in order to get the financing for something like that must've been a fucking ball ache because to actually go through with a synopsis of what that story is, they'd be like, what? You know I mean? Not just that, but they don't make horror films at that point in Israel. And that was the first one. So they, they had like double the chore, the fact that yeah. you know, they're trying to sell them a horror film. So they did very well to come out with something. You, I think that's the thing. It's from Israel. It's unique. It doesn't go against, it, yeah, it goes against all the conventions. Yeah. And it tells a reasonably interesting story with some good characters that hold your attention. So yeah, yeah well, I, apparently, I, I apparently all that. the apparently all the actors in it are actually really quite big names in in Israel. You know, in the oh, right. Israel film industry or te- television industry. Well, they so, were good. Um, the cops were very good, mm. actually. The cops were very good actors. Yeah, I I mean, for me, I think it's more than just the genre exercise you're sort of painting it as, Mike. I mean, because I I think. That, that what lifts it out of just being that is the fact that almost is that every character gets there, gets this sort of like humanizing moment, even like the scumbag cop has this moment mm. as this moment uh, where he, where he's on the, on the phone to his father and you get this insight into, into his family life. And, 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 yeah. you get, and you get all these little moments, even the serial killer at the end. It's just a little throwaway joke as this bit where he's just sort of ranting at people because they're not kind and they won't pick him up as a hitchhiker. Yeah. And it's just and it just yeah. sort of little I mean, bits are just undercut maybe your judgment of the character. Yeah. And and I and I really like that. You know. I I agree yeah. with the scumbag cop bit particularly because you you know he's he's clearly got some issues with his with his dad or whatever that's set up early in the film and obviously he's just horrible all the way through it. You know, molesting young girls and just being a total scumbag. But then, yeah, right before he dies, you know, the phone goes and it's, again, playing on this phone thing. Uh, and it's his dad. And the last words his dad says to him is, you know, when I next see you come by in your cop car, I'm going to kick your ass, you little shit or whatever. And he, he says, you won't need to do that anymore just before he dies. And I have to admit, that is quite a, you know, it's quite a moment. It's like, wow, OK. So, um, uh, and, I must and then, I'm on the, the outside cop. of you lot because the only the only saving grace is they didn't make it fucking found footage because that would have fucking killed it for me if they had done that. Yeah. So right. I appreciate what you guys are saying. Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm obviously not as highbrow as, as you lot. So I, I, I do. I did enjoy it, but uh, when well, I we're not here it, drinking, Mike. For one thing. Well, <laughs> more for you. That's all I say. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go and get another one in a second. Um, so. Um, don't go too far. We're going to be doing movie hells in a minute. Oh, you wait for that one, boy. You wait for that one. <laughs> we don't have to. You're first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, is it? So I better get oh, okay. topped up. But, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it was very interesting, and you know, but I don't read any any fancy this, that, or the other into it. I'm just like, I thought they they had a vision of what they wanted to do, and they pulled it off, and more power to them because I thought Big Bad Wolves for me was what I would I thought was great uh, as a really good story, and uh, and it held my interest. Um, Rabies was a it, it's a unique film, so for that they they are to be applauded definitely. Yeah. Do we know what they're doing next, Simon? I know you're in touch with these guys sometimes, aren't you? Uh, not that much. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let, let's see He's what IMDb Jewish. says. <laughs> uh, there's nothing at the pipeline on here. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a shame, uh, they really, might, because they're good films. They, yeah, um, so far they've done Rabies, Big Bad Wolves, and a segment for the ABCs of Death. Two, oh, which yeah. was F is for falling. What what one what one they do? F is for falling. And what happened in that? Without being I stupid, I have no idea. I have not seen the ABCs. Of I've Death. seen it, but I'm trying to think what 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 happened in that one because there was a lot of shit in that. I can tell you. Right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't help you there. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Well, speaking of shit. <laughs> yeah, would you want me to say? <laughs> that leads us on to the movie hell section. Yeah, okay. So, right, I've got, go I've on, got the pleasure go of on. this one. Oh, the list could go on. Um, over the years at Fright Fest, there's been a number of uh, shit films um, I've been subjected to. One of them was called Umbridge, which was a, an all nighter. It was a film they screened without some of the post-digital effects. Can you believe that? And that was bollocks. And the joke of it is, I even talked to the, the I think, what was his name? Dean Cullingham or something. The director I went out to him and I said to him for a joke, I said, so what does Umbridge mean? And he didn't fucking know. <laughs> did, he, so, did he take Umbridge to the question? <laughs> I don't know, but all it had in there was some big fit bird with massive tits being caveman raped. That's about the only highlight of the film for it. me. I did. That's the highlight of the film. Um, <laughs> then there was uh, what, what I was subjected to, zombie strippers. Did you, did you guys see that one? That was appalling. Northerners with clowns, that dwarves that farted. Oh, God. Yeah, I know the one you That was about, your Sunday cause... morning film. Yeah, my, my lead actress was in that film. Uh, Dead Sir, I've already mentioned. Adrift, I actually walked out of because I thought, how could these stupid fucks actually jump off a boat that high off the fucking water and not realise they'd have to get back on? And then show Weren't we pieces. supposed to choose one? Oh, yeah, I just... <laughs> <laughs> right. Something by Alan Moore called Show Pieces that me and Tim Richards, I've got to mention Tim, because me and him really slag off these films, and it's called Shit oh, Pieces. Right. <laughs> they, they really, really do. Yeah. That was another... I don't know where it's Any films with Northerners in are crap. And <laughs> that's, half, that's half our audience gone right there. Oh, sorry, guys, but, you know... Fuck me, that was bollocks. <laughs> oh dear. So anyway, going to my choice. Uh, now this, the reason a lot of people probably like this film, but I remember this was an opening film night, and it's called Eden Lake, and it's two thousand and eight, a thriller. Um, and on the video label, it says one of the most provocative and terrifying thr- thrillers of the year. For me. Um, I'll, t- I'll give you the synopsis, okay, before I start my rant, basically. Um, okay. A nursery teacher, Jenny and her boyfriend, Steve, escape for a romantic weekend away. 
Uh, he's planning to propose and he's found this idyllic setting called Eden Lake. Okay, it's remote. There's woods everywhere around it. It's sort of deserted. They're there having a good time. And then a gang of kids turn up where they, where they are and they provoke the adults. They steal some of their belongings, vandalize their car, leave them stranded. And then when the bloke finally, finally grows a pair of fucking testicles and confronts these chavs, he, um, you know, he suffers a shocking and violent attack. I think he gets stabbed. Now, I will say that I've only seen this film once because there's no good goddamn way I'm going to sit through that fucking film again. Um, basically, then the woman is left to run around the woods and she's subject to a game of cat and mouse. Uh, a young child dies in the middle of this. She finds her way out of the woods um, and then she seeks refuge in the house. And this is the thing that really pissed me off. She then finds refuge in this house and there's like a group of families there all having a big meal or some sort of entertaining in the evening. And it transpires that they're the parents of this chief chav fella, the oldest that's had this big pit bull dog throughout the whole film. Uh, who's basically instigating all these, marshalling all these young kids to, you know, do all this stupid crap. Um, and it's then inferred that the parents then realise that, you know, she, not only she killed one of the kids, that they decide to uh, to kill her. And that's the end of the film. This whole film had me screwing up my programme in my fist throughout the whole way against the absolute stupidity of everyone in this film. And then to top it off with um, the woman being killed by a bunch of, I don't know, house-living gypsy scum pigs, um, you know, just absolutely topped off the wind-up for me for this film. So fair play to the filmmakers. They provoked a reaction from me. They absolutely wound me up. I don't particularly like the hoodie horror that has a few years ago sort of populated the culture of horror films. Um, and, you know, I don't like these kids that go around thinking they're hard and, and you know, what's the word? Um, in trying to intimidate people and things like that. And to have a film where this group of mostly young kids intimidated this young couple who, who if they had any sense where they just fucked off out of there or battered one of them with a, a log or something, the, the, the whole premise. I mean, this has got Michael Fassbender in it as the most wimpiest, wettest ca male character you've ever seen in cinema history. Um, I mean, it, it's acted well. It's well made. The story it just did nothing for me except wind me up from start to finish. Uh, and um, that's why I hate this film with an absolute passion. And... Uh, and to the so that's that's as much as I'm going to say because this film fucking wound me up and I'm still wound up now. <laughs> yeah, I I tried to watch this again and I got about 15 minutes into it and I stopped it because I went ah, oh, it's just coming back to me. I'm like I don't want to watch this again. And the thing is, it just sets out from the very beginning to just provoke you. It's to say these people. They're just scumbags. Yeah. Absolute scumbags. And, you know, there's the whole bit where uh, I got as far as they go to this pub. Yeah. And uh, the, the the kids are running riot and there's the parents there. And I was it, I think Michael Fest. No, the uh, the girl says, oh, 
no, Michael Fassbender says, oh, they should have a slap. And you just see this woman wallop the kid and they go very quiet. And he, and he just makes a joke. Isn't she a school teacher as well? It's almost she is. She's a nursery school teacher, yeah. So, but I, look, my problems with this film is that at the end of the day, they try to make it into this thing where they get attacked and she kind of goes a bit Rambo at the end where she's like, she's going to take her revenge on these people. She's like running through the woods and she's going to, you know. But the only people who get killed in this film at the kids are the only ones who show any remorse. Correct. The only ones who show any conscience, they are killed while the others, the ones you really want to die. Yeah. I and mean, this, is, this, this is the thing about this film is it, it's, you could have, it, it could have been great if they, if they just messed out, you know, this, uh, you know, judgment on these horrible types. Shit, yes. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Jack O'Connell plays the lead guy. Now, you know, at the moment, he's like a British darling. He's an up and rising actor. Yeah. And he, and I, I guess this is, you know, good to him because he really makes you want to hate the guy in the film. You really want to yeah. take a baseball back and smash his brains <laughs> You sound I'm like so, me. <laughs> I know because that's the reaction I had. And this is what the filmmakers wanted. Because at, at because you just you you just you just want you just want some payback on these kids because they're so fucking horrible. I yeah. would hate for kids to some kid young kids to actually watch this film and think that that's acceptable as well. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not normally the most PC conscious person on the planet, but that film is fucking dangerous because you get some of these little shits that that you know, in the school holidays, patrol their states where they live and stuff like that. And they see some fucking film like this where they think they can get away with stuff like that. That is bad. It is. I, I, but the thing is, this is a film that kind of died a death. I don't don't remember it doing too well at the Well, cinema. if you look at the box office takings, I was quite pleased to see that um, it took... Uh, let's have a look. The opening weekend took 192,000 quid and the gross was $5,800 in the state. So fuck you, whoever directed this piece of shit. I hated it. James Watkins, fucking rotten hell. I thought that was a horrible fucking movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. He, he directed The Woman in Black. Oh, shit. Wow. Over to you guys. Okay. Well, I have to say, I mean, I may have agreed with you on your uh, wholeheartedly on your movie heaven choices, but uh, <laughs> I could... I couldn't I couldn't agree with you less on this. Um, you have loving scum. No, no, I, I hate it. But I mean, that's why I think the film is so good. Because... You're in love with Fassbinder. That's no, no, listen. No, no, no. Standing. No, bollocks to that. Listen. Um, <laughs> hey, I let you I let you rant and speak. Go so on. Your cake hole and let me uh, say my piece. Right. Um, basically, I, I didn't see this at Fright Fest. Obviously, I saw it at the cinema just as a normal, uh, you know, screening when it came out. This was, you know, 2008, so it was before Kelly Riley, Michael Fassbender and Jack O'Connell raised to the sort of A-list level that they are nowadays. So um, mm. I didn't really know them particularly. Uh, obviously, I know they'd had careers and television and theatre and whatever leading up to this, but and Jack O'Connell was about 16 or something at the time, so he was fairly new anyway. Um, but I thought I, I was... I thought it worked. I thought, uh, you know, it was well, it was well performed and well made. And 
I, I thought as a thriller, it worked really well. Um, I, you know, I agree with what you're saying is it would be scary if kids watched this and thought that those chavs behavior was acceptable because because it absolutely wasn't. But I think that was the point, and I think that was the point the director was trying to get across that this, yeah, but you know, the, chav culture. The age of some of those kids they had in that group of kids was so young. Some of them that for me, it 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 didn't really hold any credibility. I know you normally get a gang leader, right? But to have the ages of the kids that they were for me was just a bit fucking ridiculous. Well, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure it goes on, but I mean, I uh, I, I thought the film worked. Uh, the in terms of the ending and the fact that you know it was a dark ending and it wasn't fair and all that was was one of the strong points of it. In fact, because I, I was angry not for the reasons you were. Like I didn't think it was a bad film and I didn't feel robbed of ninety minutes of my time or anything like that. But I, I thought it was massively unjust. And, you know, I think that was that was the point of it. And I mean, let's be honest, life sometimes isn't fair. I mean, if it was right, we'd all be millionaires with Hollywood careers and a row of BAFTA awards on the mantelpiece, <laughs> right? But, uh, but you, you, you know, um, I just joking thought it, aside. I, how I, I can you say was... that film wasn't contrived, that she would end up at the house where the bloke lives and the parents would fucking... They, they, they didn't give a fuck about killing someone. Yeah, but, you know, all films have uh, Is that saying that the parents have produced the scum that have done this? Is that what it's saying? No, I mean, you know, possibly. Uh, but as I said, I, 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 uh, I re-watched it for this, obviously, because I wanted to see, um, you, you know, whether, whether I could get through it on a second viewing and what, what I thought and all this. And I really... Yeah. I really am surprised, particularly knowing some of the stuff you guys like. I'm really surprised at your uh, yeah. at your comments on this. I uh, well, really am. So well, it's provoked a fucking reaction. So well, from that point of view, it has. Think, and, and I'm not complaining about the craft of the making of the film or the way it looked or anything like that. I just think the fucking story was a lot of old shit. Yeah, it was. A, it was written just to provoke. Yeah. That was the thing. There's, there's no, for me, there's no redeeming features about it. Exactly. It's just to say, oh my God, aren't young people horrible? It, it's like a Daily Mail reader wrote the script, mm. you know? Because it's just like they're, they're all these, all these kids. Oh, it's the parents' fault. All these, you know, these kids are running around killing people and doing all these nasty things. It's the parents' fault. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's a Daily Mail reader. Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, let's, you know, let's hear from Clive. I was going to say, what does Clive think? Well, this is this is well, lots of passionate viewpoints there. Um, this is an interesting one for me because when I saw it at Fright Fest, I hated it. I, I, I you know, like much much like we've already heard a lot. Um, it felt like a really reactionary work. There was a lot of stuff in the in the in the red top papers at the time. Uh, about chavs, about the hoodie, about the hoodie threat, about youth running running amok, and it just seemed like an exercise in, it, it, you know, like Simon said, it in button pushing. It was and jumping I, and, on the bandwagon as well. And, and, I felt, you know, and and I hated, I, I hated the ending. I, I I sort of pretty much was enjoying it all the way through, and then I just hated the ending. Came out hating the film. I rewatched it for this podcast, and I so I've done a complete one eighty on the film. Oh, for fuck's sake. 
No, I, 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 you know, removed from the time that it came out, and yeah. you know, and 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 it's sort of been a hot button issue. You know, it's it, you know coming back to it fresh for me, it just it just worked. You know, as a as a horror thriller. Yeah, I and, know what you're saying. And, and, That's and, an interesting and thing, point. Yeah, you know, the, the things I like, the things I sort of grudgingly ex- sort of respected, even when I watched it the first time. Like the quality of the performances from Michael Fassbender and Kelly Riley, uh, and and the fact that I liked there was one there's one it's a bit stupid but I like the the one suspense sequence where Michael Fassbender ends up sort of uh, cornered in one of the sort of uh, houses of, uh, of of one of the kids and then then the sort of uh, then the the the, uh, the father comes home and it's like oh and, and it's like oh no he's he's gonna think he's an intruder it and works it, and it, beautifully it worked you know and and even i sort of admired it at the time you know even though he was hating i'm going oh this is just well done but i hate this film but you know coming back to it uh you know because it didn't it, it didn't have that sort of didn't feel like that sort of fresh sort of like this is you know sort of exploiting something that's going on it, it, you know, I, I just, I, I just, it worked for me. And I mean, the ending, which, you know, I'm still not crazy about the ending, but I think it works in a depressingly ironic way. Yeah. Um, that's exactly and, what it's supposed to do, I think. So, you know, I completely didn't expect this, but, you know, I've, re- I've reversed my position on the film. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you say that basically it was exploiting the, the, the hoodie chav scum thing that was going on at the but, time I mean, so, and, but, but this is this is what i thought, thought though because but then having watched some of the extras you know uh, on the dvd uh james watkins the writer director said uh, he, he sort of defended that by saying it, it takes it took like three years to get it made so if you think you know he wrote this before it you know the, the amount of time it got it, it, i mean films it's very difficult yeah, to make, yeah. sort of like timely ex- exploitation film you know unless you're like cranking them out in a roger corman way you know where you can just go oh look here's a headline i want to go out and make that film tomorrow uh, films just don't tend to get made that quickly especially when they've got a little bit of budget like this one had so mm. it, it was just sort of like one of those well either unhappy or happy accidents depending on how you want to look at it um that it it came up when it did i mean i, I was under the impression that it, it did well at the box office in this country it might not have travelled well, but I, I, I thought that it. I mean, it certainly got a lot of critical praise, which at the time pissed me off no end. But coming yeah, back, coming back to it, you know, what can I say? I, I, I you know, I, I, I liked it, you know, I, and I'm really surprised to say that. Well, that, I think that's good that someone likes the film because someone's got to <laughs> fucking like that piece of shit. So, but I mean, good. I'm sure well, you like with, loads with, of films that are like this. I am sure you do. I, I bet you there are other films very similar that you think is great. I think the I'm problem sure with me is that I do like to see justice served, and justice is not served. And more to the yeah, point, yeah, but justice isn't got... always served, is it? You know, no, I mean, no, but I think in this kind of film setup, that it should have been, mm. yeah, that and they, they, and they withheld that because they knew you'd get a reaction out of it, and that's the thing that pisses me off about this it's a bit film. like the film right. don't is it they don't shoot children or something that that italian film or something that was controversial where uh, they end who, up machine who, gun- who, who can kill a child kill a child that's it uh that film where he ends up machine gunning all of the uh, little sods um and that's what i'm saying is that 
what uh, pisses me off is the uh, the fact they use this thing that you know because they're kids because they haven't attained a certain age that they are totally allowed to be irresponsible and do whatever the fuck they like and um, that um, and I, I think the thing that annoyed me the most was the fact that he mixed the mix if they were older kids a lot older more similar age that to me would be more threatening uh, I know they didn't, uh, but maybe they did that because they didn't want to go down the rape route of having older kids more sexually active and wanting to strip a woman off and all the rest of it. Maybe that's some one of the choices they took. So the kids, a lot of the kids seemed a little bit too young for me to to actually do what the fuck they what they did. It just seemed to it just seemed too extreme and trying to press everyone or press all my fucking buttons and. Um, it just left me with a feeling of, you know what? I fucking didn't like that film. That was, that was wrong for all the wrong reasons. And um, I'm not a Daily Mail reader or a Mary Whitehouse, far from it. But that film pissed me off. And as I said, that I would not like that film put on TV in some young fucking bloke that thinks he's hard. Look at that film and um, you think that that's fucking okay. You know, it's like, we, yeah, we... I mean, I definitely don't think it's okay, and and I'm annoyed by the the ending, you know. But I think for the reasons that the filmmakers intended, I don't think it's, you know, I think that's kind of the point of this. Of this, but I mean, uh... let's face it, you need to have an angle if you've got a low budget and you want to, and you want, and if you want to go out and press everyone's buttons, that's what they did, and they, and from that point of view, they achieved their objective. Um, but uh, for me, that that's a film that wound me up the most, more even more than the drift where I actually walked out of it just because I was bored more than anything. But uh, that film, uh, I remember a guy next to me, he said, you didn't enjoy that, did you? He said, I could see. I was literally trying to strangle the life out of my program because it was winding me up so much. Uh, and I appreciate what you guys are saying. Take it out of the context of the time when it came out. Fair enough, but it just left me with a feeling of what's the fucking point of that really, other than to upset people. I just have one question before we move on. Do you guys think this was a good film to open the festival with? Uh, it used to be traditional, didn't it? To always open with a British film. So considering mm. some of the British films that, that have opened, have opened Fright Fest, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a high profile British film. Um, I mean, th th there are certainly some of the ones that have opened Fright Fest, which I've not been fans of, and I wasn't a fan of at this at the time. So, yeah. um, I, I think that's partly to do with it uh, because it, it did used to be that. I mean, now it's a much bigger festival. You get, you do get a lot of guests from all around the world, but it used to be obviously they can sort of the opening gala. They want a film where you, where they can say you're going to have the cast and crew here. And if it's, a, if it's yeah. a UK film, you're more likely to do that. I think the fact that some of the actors have now gone on to bigger and better things, and if you watched it with that in mind, it might actually not wind you up so much. You'd loosen well, up. Well, you a see, because when I first saw it, no, but when I first saw it, I know they're massive stars now, those main three, but that they weren't when I I didn't really know them when I first saw this, and I thought the film worked fine. So yeah. You know, yeah. um, well, it, to me, it's a decent British thriller, you know, um, but 
Uh, but, oh, well. you know, I take your point. It's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It? Yeah. Well, it's interesting we're actually split straight down the middle. Simon For and me totally For agree. Yeah. Well, we normally yeah. agree. <laughs> so it makes but, a change. Uh, not but that, to, was a good, you know. that was a good one to discuss. And I'm glad I actually have been able to vent this on my podcast because you can probably tell that this, this has been... Your podcast. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was my podcast for a brief moment. You see, he has a drink. He has a drink and look what happened. I don't know. Yeah, I have another one. He's after. claiming ownership now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you, Simon. Uh, for giving me this platform to vent my anger and thank you for being on my side on this one because uh, that film You're pissed welcome. me off right. yeah it, it pissed me off too and it, it still does do you know I like it even more now <laughs> yeah well you can go and watch it with just your underpants on can't you in the dark and think about that can't you <laughs> moving on what's the next pile of shit we got to talk about <laughs> <laughs> like the, he is taking over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Keith. Oh, it's uh, me. Is it? Okay, it um, is you. Um, well, it, what is your pick for movie right, hell? Interestingly, uh, you and Mike might agree with me on this one because um, <laughs> uh, before I get into what the actual film is, let's just talk about one of the subgenres. I know you hate it, Simon, and uh, yes, from, from what uh, Mike said, I, I guess he does. Is is this whole subgenre of found footage? Yeah? Oh, for fuck's sake! Ah, oh, but Keith, Keith, the question is, does Clive like it? Clive, do I like so, found footage? Found footage, yeah. Let's let's just talk about found footage a minute before we. I get wish it wasn't found. I, I I like <laughs> I like good found footage movies. I like good movies. I mean, I, I think it's become it's become such a sort of played out genre in indie horror, though, hasn't it? Because yeah. There's just been so yeah. many of them, and a lot of them are, uh, are, are just seem tired, and just they're just basically doing a lazy uh, retread of whatever the last successful one, whether it's you know from Blair Witch onwards, it's just sort of been like that. But you know, it's like you a do... cop out for bad camera work as well. That's what pisses me well, off. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the thing with found footage is it is kind of a an excuse, and it seems to happen in horror more than anything for bad filmmaking and as you know I, I i've got no um no tolerance for bad filmmaking whatsoever okay however um some i i think if found footage films stick to the rules of found footage then and they're done well that they can work i mean i i get annoyed yeah. when uh like like for example the the spanish film wreck the first couple of those films in that series uh, you know that they they treated the found footage or the you know the documentary thing um, properly and it worked and all this. But there are other films where they break those conventions and all of a sudden you have an objective shot or a fancy edit or a musical cue or, or or something and you sort of think to yourself, well, straight away, you know, you you. I mean, even it wasn't a horror film and it was quite a high budget film, but even. End of Watch, that film with um, Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, that annoyed me at the time because they set up all these rules in it with the cameras that they had in their badges and on the dash of the car and all this sort of thing. And then midway through it, suddenly you get, you know, aerial shots and objective points of view. And you're thinking, well, hold on, you've, you've moved away from the rules you set up. So I get annoyed with that stuff, you know. Indeed, and I also just to add that there was a scene where you see what the bad guys are up to as well. Yes, 
you think, how the fuck would they get that footage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, yeah. you know, when it when it's done well and when it's handled well, yeah. it's, it's people use it as an excuse for cheap, low budget, easy what easy and inverted commas filmmaking. And well, uh, finally, funnily enough, crap. I listened to a podcast today about one of the films that's coming on at Fright Fest this year. And it, it sounded really good. And then he mentioned the word, two words, found footage. I thought, oh, for fuck's sake. Do yeah. I mean? Well, I mean, you, you, you know, it, it's it's kind of love it or hate it. You know, some of them work, some well, of them VHS don't, 2 but... was really good, actually. Some of the segments of VHS 2, I thought, worked really well. The skateboarders and all that sort of stuff. Okay. That was impressive. Can I, I, I just want to add, it's not just filmmakers who make this decision. It's also forced upon the filmmakers. Did you guys ever hear the interview with uh, the producer of the Borderlands? I, I did. I, I mean, we've uh, we've we've uh, you know talked with Jen Handorf many times, haven't yeah. we? And uh, yeah, we have. But I mean, in the interview, she was saying that the 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 remit for it to be a found footage film wasn't from the filmmaker; it was from the studio. Well, apparently, the Fantastic Four film was almost going to be a found footage fucking movie. Oh, just because the guy yeah, made Chronicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we've come full circle. We started by saying the Fantastic Four, and here we are. There we go. We are again. No, yeah. I mean, you, you know, found footage, like it or hate it, you know. Um, it's one of those things, but the film that I've picked, uh, I thought really didn't work, and I feel very strongly about it. And it was a film called The Paranormal Diaries Clop Hill, okay, 2013 Fucking British hell. found footage film, um, which I, I, I decided to try a discovery screen um, on the, I guess it was the, was it last year? No, it was probably the first year um, that I went. Uh, and I thought to myself, let's give this a try. They, they had a fairly interesting poster. Obviously, paranormal activity and whatever was very big at the time. They reeled you in, didn't and they? They, 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 did, they <laughs> reeled me in, and, and I had real trouble. I'm one of these people, I, I don't really walk out of films. Uh, I always try and stay with it. But I got very bored and, and, and during this, and even when I re-watched it for this podcast, uh, I, it took me two goes because i fell asleep twice during it and ba basically what what they the, the the fundamental mistake they made with this in in my opinion was they were a bit experimental which i respect you know they they tried to do something different and they tried to turn it into a sort of documentary mockumentary um uh basically by taking you know, some some facts and and mixing it with some fiction. So they took this this area in Bedfordshire called Clop Hill, which it, if you do research on it, has actually had various um, witchcraft uh, rituals and you, you know things of that nature that have gone on in this abandoned church out there. But then they tried to mix it as well with a paranormal supernatural element as well and turn it into this as i said documentary about it but here's the problem and this this to me is a major flaw in storytelling and, and filmmaking in the first place is they did it as a retrospective documentary where they had interviews with the crew that that, that apparently witnessed these these made-up events yeah um looking a very very alive and well 
in this retrospective interview that they were doing, which straight away made me think, well, that takes all of the tension that they're going to build when they get to the night vision, shaky cam bollocks, right? Because we know that all these guys are going to be all right. They're under no, no real threat because they all live to tell the tale and, uh, and, 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 you know, tell it in this documentary. So from my point of view, they'd lost me at that point because I thought, you know, this, this really doesn't work. Um, the other thing, the found footage itself, because it was set at night, um, it was all done with night vision stuff, which you get a bit, personally, I get a bit tired of. It makes it look like an episode of Ghost Watch or yeah, something, you know? Those and, yeah, it was very much like that. Dark, yeah. yeah, and and the thing is, the problem with it is nothing, nothing really happened, okay? Um, it wasn't particularly structured. What I did do is because, you know, I always try and give, filmmakers particularly low budget independent filmmakers some credit so i decided to watch the director's commentary director of this is a chap called kevin gates and i decided to watch the uh commentary with the film um which really didn't didn't help me gain any more respect for it <laughs> did you because, fall asleep well no the problem the problem was he kept saying about how they didn't really have a plan or or a, or a script. It was very experimental. They'd done they'd obviously well, done some research in the history, but he and his mates just kind of went out to shoot this. And he kept saying, "Oh, this." The term he used a lot in it was, "Oh, this was a happy accident," and this was a happy accident. Fucking and you know, hell. occasionally in filmmaking, you do get the odd happy accident. But the thing is, when the happy accident doesn't even fucking work, yeah, I was like. Eh. So for me, um, you know, there was no real tension in this film. As I said, I respect that they made something with, with, with little money and they went out and tried to experiment with something and tried to come up with something, a little, a little bit of a twist on the found footage by making it this sort of mockumentary style. But for me, that was the thing that, that really ruined it was, you know, it took all of the tension out of it. So I, I found this a very dull and boring um, film. And, you know, for me, it was quite easy to pick a movie hell because, uh, you know, this is how I came out of it feeling. And having mm. revisited it, I feel exactly the same about it. So, you know, plot hill, plot hill, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I have to admit, I've not seen the film, but I saw the trailer and I looked at that and I <laughs> thought, fuck this. This looks like a fucking pile of shit. Well, I'm not going to waste well, my go. fucking time <laughs> watching a bunch of pricks go around in the dark screaming at someone scratching on their back or. But there wasn't even much rat. of that. That's the thing. There no, there was much of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, not even going to watch that fucking load of old bollocks. Are, are you saying, Keith, that you didn't cheer when the Luton Paranormal Club turned up? <laughs> well, no, again, it was kind of... Oh, that, know, that was, was comedy gold. The, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of... Or the fact the security guards saw more of the ghost than the actual paranormal investigators. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, for me, it didn't. It just didn't work. It, you know, th oh. th this was a... This was a uh, I don't know how much I don't know what the budget was on this or how much it cost, but if it you know it's an experiment that didn't work in my opinion. Now I have to say I've not seen their other films. Apparently these guys were behind the Zombie Diaries, which was also a found footage thing. Uh, it wasn't but very I'm good either. It wasn't very those, good. So I can't no. comment. No, but uh, they're being consistent. They're making consistently bad films. <laughs> okay, but I will say this: I thought. At the end, 
they actually started off a far more interesting story because oh, with yeah, the gate with the yeah. gate because what happens is they they so you know they they've done their bit in the in in the churchyard and they've come home and the the lights won't come on and then they find the little girl there with her hair down looking very much like the girl out of ring very fucking girl, and, yeah cliche but the thing is that um the whatever they experienced out at this church i think this ghost called sophie they brought back with them and for that that seemed to be far more interesting than the actual story we just had to sit through well they yeah, shot I mean, load. Su- they suddenly it became boredom yeah i mean suddenly it became paranormal activity at that point but uh yeah yeah i, I agree i mean it's almost like they set up something better trying to conclude it um, then, certain, yeah. then certainly what had happened for 80 minutes beforehand, definitely. Well, that's it. I remember um, I, I looked over at one point thinking, God, we must be near the end and saw that it was only at the 60-minute mark. And I'm like, what? This half an hour of this still left? Yeah. What, what yeah. do you think, Clive? Yeah. I I think it's a really dull film. Um, it, hey. it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, I, I didn't watch it at Fright Fest that year. I was lucky enough to see a found footage film that actually does work, uh, The Borderlands, <laughs> yeah, which we've already sort of touched on once. But that yeah, which was great, much better. I which agree. is a great, it's a great found yeah. footage film. I mean, yeah. they may have had to have made it that way for budgetary reasons, but they actually sort of embraced it and tried to do something different with it, and it worked. Stuck to creative. the rules. It's called being to the creative. Yeah, whereas, exactly. whereas this one, I felt they just hamstrung themselves for one thing. You know, because they can't. How do you build up any kind of tension or scares or atmosphere if you're constantly cutting away to talking heads of people? And it yeah. took such a long yeah. time to get going. I kept thinking, stop wasting my time. The first 20, 30 minutes. I get that we got to have some backstory about what's going on, but once we get that, we don't need to. You to interview the soundie, the second cameraman, the cameraman's girlfriend, the security guard. Just get on with it and tell us the story. Was uh, it? Did you think was padded, Did you feel that basically they added a shitload of padding? Well, apparently street. they cut shit loads out according oh my to God. the according, I mean this this took them this process <laughs> took them like 3 years to to make and apparently Seriously? Oh, apparently they had They looked like it took them 3 no, weeks. Apparently they had so much I mean the editing was you know they they weren't going to do it as a uh, a documentary thing originally it was just going to be a found footage thing but they ended up with so much footage and apparently to try and piece it together they came up with this uh, documentary idea. But as I said, I, I really, I'm sorry, you know, I, I respect anybody for having a go with this stuff. Absolutely, but I really yeah. didn't think it worked at all. Did so, it make you know, any money? Did they, did they know, did it get oh, a I have no idea. release? Or was it, uh, it went straight to DVD. Well, I think the, the idea was, wasn't it, that there were going to be a series of Paranormal Diary films. Oh, that, God. That's why it's Paranormal Diaries, colon, colon Flop, yeah. Flop Hill. Because there was going to be paranormal diaries, I don't know, uh, spook, uh, you know, spooky Dale or something would be the next one. But well, um, Clive bought it. I know that much. You bought it. I won't be keeping it. Thanks very much. But um, who's going to buy that? <laughs> well, people researching a podcast where they're going to slag it off by the sounds of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But watching it, there was one other film that it reminded me of, and that was Willow Creek, the fil- the found footage film made by Bobcat Goldthwait with Bigfoot. Well, that got a good review, didn't it? 
Um, I I enjoyed the first half of it where they're they're interviewing people and the 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 guys doing it are kind of taking the piss. Everyone was blowing him off in the Q and A. But I mean, the thing was, the thing was, when once they got out to the woods and they were inside the tent for about twenty minutes, nothing happened, did it? Where it kind of lost me, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the thing with that film for me is, is it it just copied absolutely beat for beat the Blair Witch Project. Everything that yeah. everything that happened, the structure, you know, the mm. fact that there, there's this whole sequence where they're in the tent and they're being menaced by something outside. Uh, and it's, I mean, it was great that it was unbroken and, and you did feel the tension, but it, it just felt so familiar because they were hitting all the same beats. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Unless you're uh, the first at something, you're not going to make any money off it, are you? Well, I mean, you, you know, uh, I, obviously there's a whole other story with the Blair Witch guys because, as you know, they were the year ahead of me when I was at film school and all this. But, um, you, you, you know, that that film did what it did because it, it, it was the first to do this stuff yeah. and it was the first to use the internet to create this, um, you know, story around it. And, uh, mm. you know, hats off to them, even though I didn't think it was a particularly good film. Hats off to them, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but this for me, this one just didn't work at all. You know, I'm so glad that I looked, watched the trailer and thought, no, this looks like a pile <laughs> of shit. I'm gonna give that a miss. So thank you for confirming that. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, Clive, what was your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, like Mike, <laughs> I, I, I had a long list of, uh, of films I could have picked. I mean, I've seen over like 260 films, I think, at Fright Fest. So. Wow, uh, you know, just statistically, some of those are going to be stinkers, aren't they? You know, uh, because there just aren't that yeah. many great horror films every year, sadly. <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I could have picked, say, like the most amateurish film I've seen, which might be Bubba's Chili Parlor, or oh, that Day, was bad, or Day of the Dead Two: Contagion, which is really poor, um, yeah. or or something which just really offended me. Because not only was it bad, but it felt really exploitational because they uh, showed pictures of real animals being killed. Just oh, what seed? Sort of... Yeah, that would be seed. Dewey Ball, who actually uh, unlike no, Dewey getting better. And uh, or I could have picked Jalo just because it's so it's such a crushing disappointment as to how poor it is. Um, but in the end, I decided to go with the only film I've ever walked out of at Fright Fest. Excellent. <laughs> uh, which was uh, wasn't a drift, was it? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't a drift. Um, I like a drift, but that's another oh, talk. Let's not, not go there. Um, you like so everything. Ah, uh, fuck off! You sound like my <laughs> mates at film school. Go away. Anyway, so Fright Fest 2004, and the film I picked as my movie hell is The Hillside Strangler, starring C. Thomas Howell and Nicholas Turturro. <laughs> well, that sounds uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not trust me <laughs> it's the hillside sleazer isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this is uh it was introduced by uh one of the exec producers hamish McAlpine from tartan films and it's like part uh, they the, at the time they they produced this sort of trilogy of of, of true serial crime, killer true yeah. true crime serial killer movies that there, there was uh, uh that there, there was uh Bundy, um, was it? Yeah, uh, Ted Bundy, which uh, I think Matthew Bright directed that one, and there was another one from the same uh, from the same director as uh, also a stranger, uh, Chuck Palin and Terry, uh, and and this was a sort of the third one. 
And, you know, I, I, I got about 15, 20 minutes in. I just walked out. <laughs> I just couldn't take anymore. It was just, okay. So, obviously, based on the true story of, uh, of of the pair of serial killers um who 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 the media sort of labeled as as collectively the hillside strangler because they didn't know that there were a pair of them doing it for a while and this happened between uh, october between sort of 1977 and 1978 uh, so you know it's a period it's a periods uh, thing and it's sort of, and it, we basically follow uh the, the, the characters of uh, these two serial killers, Kenneth uh, uh, Bianchi, played by C. Thomas Hell, and Angelo Bueno, played by Nicholas Turturro, who are cousins. And yeah. C. Thomas Hell basically uh, sort of moves to a new city and moves in with his cousin. And he's already <laughs> like, he's already sort of a, a twisted uh, guy who's uh, disappointed with life, uh, is sort of a bit of a pathological liar. And and just it's one it just comes off creepy all the time. Yeah, uh, that B- I, I, Bianchi was a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you so and you and and it it starts off as it sort of means to go on really with this incredibly voyeuristic tone where you sort of you you, you, you firstly you see uh, Kenneth Bianchi sort of just basically. Uh, uh, perving on on this he's, he's got a job as a uh, as a store detective and, it, and he's he's drilled a hole in the lady's changing room he's watching this girl uh, he's watching this girl i like him change, already he's watching this girl uh, changing he sees that she's shoplifted she's putting all these like layers of clothes on and then he sort of pulls her into the back room and basically has a you know sort of just sleezes onto her and, and sort of sleezes onto her what does that mean exactly oh, oh come on <laughs> He he makes a strip. Oh, okay. Is the Come thing. on, yeah. give me some detail. <laughs> so uh, how so, do you uh, not watch <laughs> this film, Mike? Just... This film's right up your street. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd seen it now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Clive. So uh, you know, he, he he's rejected by the sheriff's <laughs> department again because uh, he's got this obsession between of being a cop, <laughs> uh, and then he, he he goes and he moves in with his with his cousin Angelo Nicosatiro doing his best uh, Joe Pesci impression. Um, and I mean, if I'm going to say something positive about the film, and it's really hard for me, uh, it, it's that it's, it, it's, it's not a badly made film. It moves really quickly. It's just the fact that it's just such a sort of wallow in misogynism and <laughs> and, 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 and sleaze, and it just it, it, it just enjoy- where can I get this film? <laughs> I just knew you were going to say that, Mike. Yeah. And, and it, it, I'm not it's buying just, it off it, you. It, it just enjoys, uh, it enjoys all the sort of uh, <laughs> all the depravity too yeah. much. You know, <laughs> I, I get that you have to sort of depict what they are actually doing, but there's no, there's never a sense ever that that, that this film has any feeling at all for the victims and what uh, and what happens to them. It's just, no. it just always just seems an excuse for the next bit of exploitation. Serial killers do not have yeah. empathy. No, it, it, so. it, it's it's massively exploitative. I mean, um, the uh, you, you know the, the the guys. Not only are they horrible to you know the young women and the prostitutes, etc., but uh, it's got Lynn Shay from the um, from the uh, Insidious, Insidious films movies, yeah. in it. Yeah, playing his mother. 
And oh my God, the, the, the way he speaks to his mother and disrespects his mother is just... I mean, it's uncomfortable to watch. You know, it's, it, it's, really it's like it feels like every other word that comes out of their mouth is the c word. It's just, it, it's just, it just, it, it is one of those films where I mean, you know, I can watch something like the original Maniac, which which does have that sort of sleazy vibe to it, but it has a sort of artistry to it. They're trying to say something, and this it just felt like like it was just like an ex, like an, an excuse. You know, I mean, okay. We, you know, in a lot of horror films, that there's there's going to be female nudity. You know, it's it's, uh, but in this, it just seems like that's the sole reason for this is to have these really nasty voyeuristic, yeah, uh, scenes yeah. Where, where where women are getting knocked around, they're getting uh, uh, getting assaulted, sexually assaulted, and then killed, and which is uh, what they did do. But can I just say, I think that's the point, is that the director has no artistry. Yeah. You imagine a film like this in somebody else's hands. You imagine like how David Fincher made Zodiac. Yeah, Zodiac was fantastic. Yeah. Imagine Scorsese making this film. This is the thing. The director has no artistry. He just, it just, it, there's nothing, it just keeps going. It's scene after scene after scene. There's no overall story. He's just going it's for just, the sleaze. Yeah. It was so sleazy yeah. that I, it was the sort of film that made me feel like I needed to have a shower after watching it. I mean, it was Well, really we don't sleazy. want to know about that, Keith, okay? Oh, I trust you that. to go there. But no, <laughs> you sit, I imagine you're sitting there with your headphones on. <laughs> I don't wear headphones. What are you talking about? So, anyway. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Sorry, Clive. Clive, you, you want to go back to what you were saying? Well, I'm sort of, I'm just sort of running out of, of just sort of, of bad things to say about it, really, because <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's just, it, it's like watching, uh, it, it's like watching a, a, a really sort of uh, like nasty, violent porn film that they just happen to have, have sort of conned a couple of. Uh, decent actors to sort of appear in every now and then, you know. It's, so it's, they, it's, it's got that. It's just got that vibe to it. It's just they've, uh, they've uh, basically uh, yeah. gone to exploit the the worst part of the crimes and not look at it from. Have you any of you seen the Summer of Sam? That's quite an interesting film. Yeah, I, 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 I think, see. I think that's good. I think, I think yeah. Zodiac is a good film as well. They're looking and, at it the from thing, the right but, view. But, but those are about the. Those are about the. You're right. Those are about the consequences. Yeah, it, it's about how it affects the community. You know how how uh, how it sort of you know creates this atmosphere of fear. Yeah. Or, or or in the case of uh, Zodiac, how it sort of creates this obsession in this in this guy that yeah. needs to find out who who this killer is. We just went totally terrorists. for the sleaze and for the most depraved part of the whole thing, which is the act of what they did. Yeah, and they sort of make their point with that in the first 20, 25 minutes. But then they just keep making essentially this sort of the same thing over and again. And you realise they just because they don't have anything to say. It's just like, oh, this yeah. is a good excuse to, great, oh, okay, here's some full, uh, some, uh, full frontal female nudity. Here's some more, you know, uh, and, and now he's going to go slap her around some more. And now he's just going to be, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah it's it just, it's nasty. No and, redeeming yeah. qualities whatsoever. And, and, you know, and when you say that, oh, it's, it, I, you know, I, you know, this is one of the film. I've not really talked about this film that much because when you say to someone, oh, I, I, it's the only film I ever walked out of uh, Fright Fest, think, people must think, oh, it's like the most extreme thing ever then. Oh, my God, I, I really got to check this out. It sounds like it's some sort of like badge of honour. 
but it's not. You know, I mean, I've watched much more extreme <coughs> extreme films than this at Fright Fest. I've watched films that've been harder to sit through because they've been uh, uncomfortable viewing, or because mm. they they've gone to extreme places like um, like Martyrs or The Girl Next Door. Oh, well, um, that was pretty bad as well. Yeah, I mean that was horrible. But yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a it's it, I, I would absolutely defend that film uh, for what it does, you know. But this, it just for me, uh, you know, I I, I just uh, when I was watching it, I don't know, uh, you know, I I just thought, you know what, I, I I'd rather go out and, and get a bit of sunshine and get some air. Cause you can do without that in be your it. life. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was just de- it was just depressingly misogynistic and uh, and and voyeuristic and sleazy and and uh, hey, what did you guys think? Well, I, I say there's there's a film that's much better than this. Well, there's lots of films better than this, but <laughs> yes. <that's- laughs> at least two hundred and fifty apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's there's one film where I think it's trying to copy, and that's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Well, that oh, actually yeah. was very well done, wasn't it? It yeah. was, yeah, exactly. And it's it's the same kind of idea where you're following a pair of killers, yeah. But in this case, it's just. Uh, it's just it is awful. It, I I agree with you, Clive. When it's it does sound like they got conned into doing this. That the the two actors in it were like, uh, we need a bit of money, and the guy says, "Look, I've got money. You want to be in my film?" Because it's just you know, see Thomas Howell should had you know hang his head in shame because mm. he's just awful in it. Well, I mean, he, he he does come across as really as as creepy the whole way through. You know, but um, <coughs> yeah, it's. What has the uh, filmmaker gone on to make since? Oh, that'd well, be interesting. Let's, let's let's have a look at his filmography. Yeah. Um, well, after that, he did a short in 2012, and he's been announced to be making a film called Powder Burns. So not much. Mm. Mm. But before that, he he'd done the Ed Gein film, hadn't he? That's right. Yeah. Oh, and Henry Two Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, so oh, wow. that's his bag. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I, I have to admit, I mean, uh, I obviously didn't see this at Fright Fest, but I do. I did see it on the Not big screen. Clive. <laughs> no, I, yeah, exactly. It's all part of it. But no, I remember I saw it, um, I guess, back when it was released, you know, uh, 2004 or whatever. I remember it was, there was like some Saturday afternoon double bill in town and it was uh, this and a Toby Hooper film called The Toolbox Murderers. Murders, yeah. Oh, is that murder? Yeah. Which was, was Murders, also yeah. e- equally bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say for this, I suppose they captured the era quite well, but, you know, it was an awfully, like you said, sleazy film. It was, it was, it was not very good. Yeah, and a cheap TV movie. Yeah, no, absolutely, way. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's, that's not that's not a bad a badge of honor. For no, it. not it just, at all. It no. just made it even worse. The world world will be a better place without that film. Indeed. Nice. Right, Simon. Now, we're now on to the last one now, which is your super pick because I'm not controlling the podcast, as you quite rightly said. <laughs> What's your movie? No, now? obviously you're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and next week with Mike Tat in two files, <laughs> you'll be renting about okay. else. Yes, right. Well, I I know some people don't agree with me, but I, I think that the Monday morning spot on Fright Fest is usually where they put like the bad film, the shit. <laughs> <laughs> and there has been like a you know whole slate of it. I mean, you had uh, was it Zombie Women? F- 
of Satan. Oh, that's the one. The... Zombie Strippers. That's the one I thought. Yeah, that was a yeah. fucking appalling film. <laughs> there was also that uh, found footage film about the ghost in the woods that actually picks up the camera at one point and starts following the girl around the woods. <laughs> Luckily, I missed that one. <laughs> that sounds a bit shit. I, I think I saw that one. It was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was the one with uh, Scoot McNair. Oh, yes. Clive yeah. is there. Anything found footage, he fucking loves it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it was, uh, it was just that was just an awful film. I mean, they were trying to make it look like it was either the husband or the boyfriend doing it. It's just, uh, but no, it turned out to be the ghost. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah i mean zombie diaries was a monday morning film mm. and my pick for the monday morning film uh was the dead outside or as i've always referred to it as the dead ball <laughs> <laughs> right is that it <laughs> <laughs> no I, i'll tell you what the story is about um the story is about this outbreak um where instead of them being zombies, they're crazies. All right. So again, so straight away, the title is misleading. Yeah, good, good you bit know. Of marketing, yeah. Yeah, I guess because zombie films are big and crazies films aren't so much. So they just package it, they just titled it The Dead Outside because then, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's set up in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, you see this guy driving along and you see, I think you see like one or two people acting crazy and he's scared. Which sounds like Scotland anyway. I've got my best mate who's in Scotland. I'm going up there soon. So I'll be able to tell you firsthand. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so this guy finds a house he holds up there. Uh, he finds this girl who at first is kind of, you know, doesn't want him there. And then next, you know, but after a while, wants him to be there and nothing much happens. And then another girl comes along and she turns out to be a nurse. And the young girl who says she says it's her house. She's like a, a carrier or she's got mm. a cure or something like that. And... <laughs> And then there's a confusing bit at the end where they're kind of the the nurse is trying to sort of take her away and they crash and there's some crazies and you don't know if the guy's going crazy or not. And and then it <sighs> ends. Good. <laughs> I I um I actually fell asleep for this film. That's um, why we have I a was... short synopsis. Yes, uh, but I, I went back, I did watch it again, and I, I found it as equally um, boring. Um, it's it's one of these stories that's kind of like stretched out. So they it, obviously they had a small budget. They only had a few actors, and they didn't want to do zombies, so they try to come up with something else, but it, it doesn't work. They don't give it enough explanation for what's happening. Because th th there's, I think there's, because the problem, the problem I have with it is that it's very a monotone film that everybody kind of talks at the same level, and so if somebody's annoyed, they are annoyed throughout the whole film, which is the girl. The other guy is kind of like you know trying to calm her down all the time, so he's always at that same level, and the nurse was just kind of like you know 
she just sort of turns up and it's he's like oh it's nice to somebody to talk to somebody else mm-hmm. and it's like okay mm. you know she doesn't I mean, apart from trying to sort of steal her away or say you know it's, it's just it's it's very oh. confusing sounds fucking boring and the problem is the editing does not help the editing is it's all over the place so they they do flashbacks and they cross the line quite a bit i noticed yeah. i was like ooh Oh, yes. yes. Wouldn't do that, yes. would we, Keith? <laughs> don't, want, I don't want to cross the line. <laughs> hey, if there's a reason for it, it's fine. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's things in it that aren't explained or just, you know, they're just left to interpretation. And I think you, you're not that invested in the film to actually kind of, you know, investigate or think things up. Because I was one of those films where I was just very happy that it was finished. Mm-hmm. You know those films... If they're done well, do you ever see that film mm. called The Signal? Is it a Canadian film? I thought that was quite good. That that was good, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was that the one that ended the uh, Fright Fest last no, year? No, it was a few no, years ago. There, there's, there's, years there's ago. Been, yeah, there's been two The Signals. This was like a. Uh, it was like in three parts with three different three different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought I thought that about. was yeah. really well done, and. Um, you know, the remake of The Crazies was very good, but you're right. It was, If yeah. they explain some sort of reasoning behind it, it always helps to push the narrative along. And, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't we see another film last year where they were in a house and then they walked out down the road and then there was another house, but it was their own house or something? Was Coherence. It? Yeah, that was all right. Oh, that was okay. That was the sort of people were going a bit mental outside, weren't they? Yeah, um, I mean, so I'm I mean, glad that you saved me from watching yet another pile of crap at Fryfest because I've seen so much over the well, years. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, <coughs> I, I, this film, I, I think, as always with anything, it all it all boils down and goes back to um, to script because um, you know this wasn't particularly interesting film. I agree, it was quite dull and and not particularly engaging. Okay, however. Um, oh God. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I am going to defend it in some ways because one of the things you have to remember is is this film was shot in two weeks and it was made for four thousand pounds only. Uh, and obviously, you know, Simon, you know what that's like to do, right? First hand. Yeah, I do. So but I'm, I, at the end of the day, it's kind of like if you're going to do something like that, you really got to have a good script yeah. and a good concept and just. You know, if it's going to be trapped inside that world, let's have interesting characters. Let's have a bit of life to it. Yeah. It's just so fucking dull. It was totally dead. <laughs> it was dead inside and out, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I think the, Simon's the, the, dead the, inside now. The, 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 the thing is, I mean, you, you know, I kind of respect what they did um, with this. Uh, apparently, you know, the, the, the sort of backstory to it was, which, you know, I can only take my hat off to them for this, was they were at Fright Fest the previous year and afterwards they decided we're going to make something for next year so they literally the entire thing from the writing to getting the money to to shooting it to editing it and having it ready for fright fest they did the whole thing in the space of that year um you, you, you know, so they, they were successful at getting something made. Uh, it's not, I mean, for me, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as my pick um, for movie hell. I mean, you, you, you know, as I said, I respect what they did with this, you know. <laughs> well, i got to say, though, uh, even with your one, it was far more entertaining than than this one. 
I mean, at least, you know, you know there was at least as you, you could see what they were trying to do with, you know, paranormal diaries, even though it's again, they, they made a mess of it. Uh, this just it was kind of like they made it for the sake of making a film and there was no real point to it. And there's, you know, yes, hats off to them for making a film, hats off to them for making it to Fright Fest, but come on, but at least make it interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. It could have been better. Absolutely. I mean, that does lead me on to the perennial question, which I always ask myself after sitting through a piece of mercilessly boring shit, is that um, how the fuck did it get through the Fright Fest quality control panel? Because sometimes it does make me wonder. Yeah, I I have to wonder myself because um, having, you know, I, I made Blood and Roses and it was finished 2009 and I gave the copy of the film to all four of them. And I don't even know to this day if they even watched it. Mm. You know, so yeah, I I, I don't know. That's a challenge, I mean, isn't it? Yeah. Well, can I just say something? I have to say there is a bit of like, if you're in with them, they are more likely to show you show their stuff. I mean, the I'll say this now: the only reason why we got a trailer shown at Fright Fest was because of Paul Davis. That was the only reason. It wasn't because of Clive, and it wasn't because of me. It was all because of Paul Davis, and Paul Davis is you know a director who's up and coming, and you know, and the guys at Fright Fest really like him, and you know, they they really like promote promoting him and his work because i mean there was one year at fright fest where he was on the screen for the horror channel every before mostly all the films remember when they were doing it was him and it was the director of colin and they had picked their films for you know for the horror channel so he was there on the screen a lot and of course he was there with the documentary beware the moon he's obviously very good at networking yes very good at networking but uh, there is it does feel sometimes there's a bit of that going on. Mm. Well, I think the whole industry is like that, but yeah. Oh, oh yes, true, I, 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 true. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up and defend the guys. You know, I, okay. Because I, 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 I here's the thing. You know, uh, they, you know, they showed my film Snatching Time. They didn't know me from mm -hmm. Adam. They just liked the film, and I think, uh, I think the thing is, that, you know, it seems like it's this big corporate thing, but this, but ultimately, a lot of these picks are there because one of the four main guys you know whether it's ian or paul or alan or greg loves that film and mm. and god knows i disagree with their taste a lot of the time but yeah if, if but they're passionate about it they see something in it and you know a lot of the films that we picked i'm sure for movie hell people that there's someone out there maybe someone listening right now that loves it and they're like what are you on you know i, I yeah. completely disagree with you and that's and yes. that's what's good and you know I, I personally you know i, I think uh, that, that and and they do and they do like to champion filmmakers who's who they feel that they've discovered so you know you get filmmakers like i think adam mason has got a film this this year isn't he i think uh, and, and and he's and he's one of these filmmakers who, who's shown a number of, the, of films over the years there, and you know like and like Neil Marshall coming back this year again with uh, Tales of Halloween, um, you know so they will support filmmakers that they feel that that they've had a hand in sort of you know giving a lift up to, and that's true of, and that's also true of Paul Davis because they showed Beware the Moon, so uh, I'm not going to knock them for that at all. 
And I'm personally, I'm grateful that they showed both my short mm. and, uh, and and they showed our trailer. They didn't need to show our trailer. So I think, you know, that, that they do a good job They and they do a good job of supporting indie horror. You know, they can't show everything. And should they have shown Blood and Roses? I think Blood and Roses is a much better film than Dead Outside. So they absolutely should have shown it. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's down to personal taste. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I know that. I mean... I know it's a bit of sour grapes for me. I just, I just can't understand why Mike has not had one of his short films shown there now. Because well, I thought... he has in a way because they've shown his, they've shown his eye dents. Oh, they showed the eye dents, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm really surprised they've not shown any of his the short films because I, I mean, I really like the short films that Mike's made, and I just, I, I'm, you know, I'm really surprised it doesn't get picked because it, they, it does kind of fit their kind of criteria. It's always, I, I it's just a shame. It's interesting you should say that because when I did my first film, I did it to tick what I thought was would tick all the boxes for some for them guys at Fright Fest. I thought, well, this is going to tick all the boxes. Then I did another one, thought that would tick all the boxes. Then I did another one, thought that would tick all the boxes. And as you said, I've, uh, you know, thanks to them, I've had my ident shown. I probably had the centipede one shown just because I had Lawrence Harvey in it, so I knew I was going to get in in with that one. But yeah. Uh, it does. It you know. I think they've expanded it. Apparently, they've handed the short film selection over to someone else. And I know that these days you're getting people that are what I would call professionals doing this and making short films because it's tough out there. And you're getting lots of people that have even made features and stuff like high end features that are making short films to a really high standard. And that's what these people you're having to compete against. So it's getting harder for people like me with no budget and yourselves to compete, you know, but that just means I'm just going to have to try that much harder, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I hope to have a, a feature showing at Fright Fest one day. That's on my, uh, that's on my, one of my yeah. lists. Still yeah. gives me and, something but, to strive for, you know, that's my, yeah, and, and goal. You know, I, I, I'd, pers- I'd say, I'd give a shout out to the short film surgery directed by the Clemens brothers, which is going to be, showing at Fright Fest this year and you know I think it's worth checking out uh you know I I contributed to the crowdfunding of that and uh it was one of the uh it was the last film that was scripted by uh their uh late Brian. father uh, Brian Clemens yeah who, uh, you know uh, one of the uh, major forces behind the Avengers yeah. and the, and also the uh, the uh, director of uh, <laughs> well yeah yeah and also the, the director of uh which uh, Hammer film, Mike? Uh, Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter. That's the one which the, which is also screening this year. So I've got go the Blu-ray. Go of that. Check those out. Yeah. 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 I think it's a difficult job, but I know where Simon's coming from because sometimes it does seem that there's a little bit of a secret boys club, secret handshake club, and if what I'm saying is, is if you're one of those guys you're probably going to get your stuff looked at a bit more closely than maybe someone else's. That's probably what it is. They'll look at it and maybe that's all it is, is that they pay more attention to someone that they know as a mate or a mate of a mate or whatever. And, you know, if I was running my own festival, if one of my mates come up to me and said, look, can you get my short film in? I'd want to help him out. So I'm not knocking anyone for it. Yeah, That's the business, you know. I'm afraid. The whole business yeah. is like that. The thing you said, Keith, about the filmmakers of this film, Dead Outside, that you know they went to Fright Fest and they wanted to make a film for Fright Fest next year. I think I don't know about the rest of you guys, but that's how I feel every time I go. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, it, is yes. that I want to have make a I want to make a film. 
I come out of that feeling pumped that I want to go and make a film that hopefully will get shown there next year. So, you know, hats off to those yeah. guys that that's what they did. They got it shown there. Just a shame about the film. In some twisted way, if it wasn't for Fright Fest showing a, what I thought was a really shit film in the short film showcase that was obviously, to my mind at the time, someone's mate had, had got in, them in there. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't even have started making films. So I've actually and we wouldn't that. and we wouldn't all know each other now. So yeah. So go. actually, yeah. in some twisted, yeah. perverse way, that that one thing, that one choice that someone said, "Oh, go on, I know him. He's all right. He'll be all right." put it in there that's actually done me a favor because it's got me into this world and i've met you lovely chaps so there you go yeah yeah that's a so, good note that's a good note to end on so there, it's though. a positive yeah. note it's not all negative it's all positive and um no, but true. having said that if you've worked your fucking bollocks off making a feature film and spent shit loads of money on it and you've worked your hearts out and you go to fright fest and you see a film that we all know is is crap and you've produced something like Simon has that's, that doesn't deserve to be in the same room as some of that shoddy stuff, it's going to make you feel a little bit pissed off, you know, and that's no, a human reaction, you know. I, I can see that, but I will say as someone who's uh, who's been, <laughs> this will be my 14th year, so I, so I can say, I can speak from experience. In the early years, there were some films which, which were screened, which they basically had to screen those horror movies because they kind of got a package deal. It's like they what? It's like they. It's yeah. like, well, I wouldn't it, say it, it, that's that far back. I think that's it, you know, Hammer of the Gods. I mean, well, I think they are tied to <laughs> distributors. We'll say we'll give you cheap thrills, but you got to put on this pile of crap on the main but, screen. But uh, but it, uh, okay, maybe maybe that's true. I don't know for sure, but I know that was certainly true. Wouldn't in the surprise early days. But, me. But, but but the other thing is, but in the early days, you had no choice. So if if yeah. there was if they're having to show some filler, you had to sit down and watch it. You know, uh, yeah. you know, your only other choice was the pub. So well, the, the thing I realised or thought about was that but now we once, have choice. You know, well, I think that what's happened is that Fright Fest now is such a powerhouse brand and and festival now that which is why I, I'm really pleased to see that. To me, on on the outside, it looks like they've we're back to almost like the old days where I don't know anything about any of these films that are on the, on, on the festival, on the main screen. It, nothing smacks to me of, oh, we've had to put that on because of this. And that's really encouraging because it means that they've got the power now and that the film companies will actually want to be at Fright Fest uh, and they will have to exceed to the, what they want to put on, not what the film production distributors want to try and shove down their throats. And I think that's a really good thing. And I think Fright Fest, hopefully, I've got my fingers crossed, I'm really excited about going to this year's Fright Fest because I think we're going to hopefully see some great films, one of which I think the one of the really standout ones to me looks to be Night Fair, which is a French film on the last day. That looks fucking cool. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, guys, that neatly leads us into what we'll be doing next. Uh, for our next episode... Um, Mike, Clive and Keith will be reporting back on this year's festival and telling us what their favourite film was and their least favourite film was of the festival. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going. You'll be oh. missed, Simon. Yeah, that's a shame. Oh. Yeah, I decided not to go this year just because um, I, I'm not... I wasn't a big fan of last year. I 
I have my reasons. I think you all know it. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to find it tough, Simon. Yeah, uh, I, I, I will be around and I might see the odd film, but I don't think it's fair for me to report on the festival off just seeing like one or two films because you guys are going to be there for the whole thing. Yeah. So it will be up to you guys to uh, to let me and the listeners know what it, this year's festival was like. We'll come so, back so, and say so, it's blinding and you'll be so pissed off. <laughs> so Simon, uh, to yeah. make up for this, you're going to lock yourself in your bedroom uh, and just watch horror movies for five days then and, and not shower. Is that he's going to watch the Hillside Strangler on repeat for 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I would not wish that on anyone. <laughs> no, I, I think if that was the case, um, I would I'd take a spoon and scoop out my own eyeballs. <laughs> Can I film it? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you watch the Hillside Strangler with yeah, me. I'll Mark. be up for that. Oh, he, he would be up. For that. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yeah. Bit of misogyny goes. Uh, right. Right. Excellent. So let's end the show in our customary way. So, Mike, how can people find you? Um, best place is the website www.apocalypticconservatory.com. Clive, how can we find you? Uh, well, you can uh, find my uh, my podcast, uh, the A to Z of SFF, which I do with uh, uh, my compadre Rob Wickings. Yeah, uh, Rob Z- Wickings. Uh, yeah, at the A to Z of SFF dot com, or uh, if you want to check out uh, my shorts, uh, do a search under my name, Clive Ashenden, on Vimeo. Or look me. on his washing line. Very good. Okay. Boom, boom. Uh, nah, Keith, nah. Keith, how can we find you? Uh, yeah, if you go to YouTube and you look up British Isles with Isles spelled E Y L E S, as in my surname, that will take you to short films that I have made over the past years. And you can find me at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can also uh, check out the Facebook page for our podcast, which is Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And we have a Twitter account, which is at Movie Heaven Hell. Thank you for listening and take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.